Hey, what's going on? How's everyone doing? Sorry for being a little late. I had to go. Cats to the cat. Uh, neighbor went out of town. Yeah, that's basically that. Um, if you're up in this room, real quick, if you're listening anonymously on the desktop, because that's an option. Uh, if you're not on the app, you can listen on desktop anonymously. Do us a favor and sign in under an account. Um, even if you have to make an account, you know, real quick in a second window or something, in a second tab, because uh, it helps our metrics. It helps the higher reps that call in, you know, see that we have listenerships. For whatever reason, the metrics don't fully show. I'll be making periodic um, reminders about that, but it's uh, it's pretty useful. But yeah, um, never did one of these on a Friday before, so no idea what the turnout is gonna be like, but not really planning for it to be super long anyway, but uh, something you can do is uh, if you go to the Champagne Sharks Twitter, it's just one word, Champagne Sharks, you'll see that we just uh, tweeted out this episode. Feel free to retweet that tweet. It'll be the last tweet that we just tweeted or just, sharing your social medias that were up on here. Um, so real quick, I don't want this to be kind of the stereotypical, oh, are millennials snowflakes, you know, ooh, are you triggered, like low-hanging fruit. Um, this is actually something I want to be like an earnest discussion. You know, I mean, I'm not going to censor anybody. If somebody does want to come here and do the low-hanging fruit, that's your call. But um, what I kind of want to know is, as genuine questions, I do not understand like how the culture of trigger warnings is supposed to work. And I'll give an example of what I mean. I was watching the show Kenobi. It was uh, the last episode we did uh, was about Kenobi. So I had to watch the show for the episode. In the first episode, the screen comes on and it goes, hey, content warning, disturbing scenes are going to appear. And then the episode started. And when I was watching it, I was like, okay, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, um, in, in, in an ideal world where trigger warnings work the way they're supposed to work, what am I supposed to do as a recipient of the trigger warning? Like, it doesn't tell you what the sort of content is. So I don't even know if it's be something that specifically triggers me. It doesn't tell me where in the show it's going to appear. So then it gives me a timestamp, you know? So, like, what do you do? Do you just stop watching on the off chance that it might be something that triggers you? Do you have to go online and ask people? Do you let your friends watch it first and they report back to you? Like, uh, it would just seem like a very weird thing that, that corporations are kind of, you know, incorporating now into, from what I understand, the first time this show aired, it didn't have a trigger warning. And then people online lit it up and asked for a trigger warning. They lit up on Twitter and said, this thing needs a trigger warning. Then I, when, by the time I watched it, it had a trigger warning. And I just did not understand what use this trigger warning could do. Because my guess is people want trigger warnings, but they're still fans. So they don't want spoilers either. So the trigger warning can't have a spoiler. Um, so I was like, okay, are you supposed to like watch five seconds at a time and then pause, you know, just in anticipation, you know, every 20, 30 seconds, you know, just proceed cautiously. 
until the triggering thing happens and hopefully catch in slow motion. These go someplace and meditate for you know 20 minutes to get yourself really calm before you watch a potentially triggering thing. Do you hide behind the couch and you know hit play and like you know peek from behind it? Like I just I'm kind of curious what but I'm not I'm making jokes and stuff, but I actually I'm like earnest here. Like I want to understand what the idea earnestly is behind trigger warnings and if it's that these corporations are just doing them wrong like are they just doing them wrong and there's a better way to do it and maybe we have people up in here who work in academia who work in places where these ideas have originated and you know can share on hey this is how it should be done. These corporations are doing it right. Or maybe you're someone who enjoys trigger warnings. Maybe you're the kind of person who goes online and, you know, gets mad and suddenly doesn't have trigger warnings. And, you know, you can share with me, like, what service do they do for you? And how do you react when you see them? Or maybe someone who just hates them and thinks they're stupid. And, you know, you can share why. Like, Another thing that I find kind of weird about trigger warnings is on Twitter. Uh, a tweet has now has 280 characters, but a tweet used to have 140 characters, really small. And the room that it took to give a trigger warning, there wasn't really enough room to really hide anything. You can't see the whole tweet at once. There's something would be like, you know, tr uh, trigger warning, rape. And then like a couple spaces, uh, hey guys, I was raped. And it's like, okay. I don't really see how in the space between the first sentence and a couple of spaces, you know, the person has time to divert their eye. It's almost like sheer momentum. It's going to go right into whatever it is. Sometimes people hit a lot of return keys. They kind of make the thing very long so that the person has to scroll down. But it's like, okay, let's say you make a lot of return strokes so that, you know, the so-called triggering statement appears far below the trigger warning. Just the fact that the trigger warning itself to me is kind of trigger triggering. What I mean is like, say it says trigger warning, rape. And then you put a lot of space between that sentence and the second sentence, which is, hey guys, I was raped or whatever. If you're someone who has very traumatic experiences around your rape, I would think just seeing the trigger warning saying trigger warning rape would do something to activate that trauma. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like just seeing the words trigger warning rape would instantly put you in the mindset like, um, yeah, now I'm thinking about, about my rape. So yeah, basically in general, I just do not understand how they're supposed to work, but um, I wanna have a good faith conversation about what, you think like first where they came from, how it started. Did they mutate into something thanks to corporations and you know Tumblr and people attention whoring? You know, they mutate into something that's kind of flawed, but you think there is a good way for them to work and yeah, things things like that. But that's basically been uh my question, my curiosity about the whole thing. And of course, if you just can't stand them. Like I said, that's a valid take as well, but um, at least I want people to be thoughtful about it. Like, just don't be, just don't be like, um, 
yeah, I can't stand them. A bunch of triggered libs. Get off my lawn. We had uh, we had to walk like uh, we had to turn the TV and just get triggered and deal with it, you know. And you guys are a bunch of soft things. Like, yeah, I don't really want um, that either. But yeah, if anybody wants to uh, come up and share your thoughts, your experiences, I'm especially interested in people who have had to teach or manage a workplace and had you know had to deal with uh, people who wanted these things or you know people who actually enjoy trigger warnings who actually think that you know they find them helpful and if so i want to hear when you find them useful and and how they're useful um hey rich how's it going feel free to unmute on the right side hey what's what's up appreciate it um this hey, is how very you Oh yeah, I'm good. You know, slowly dying, but that that's the only option you got. You get older, you don't. But um, uh, it's funny that you brought this up though, because I don't know if anyone is familiar with the film uh, L- Licorice Pizza, right? So, and this kind of it makes me because I used to really not care about trigger warnings, um, not in the sense of like, oh, I'm so removed from all this stuff that trigger warnings. I don't see how some people could benefit from it i could like i could see in my mind i could think about how someone might appreciate a trigger warning but i never really thought about it too much or really fully understood it but um i was oh yeah oh yeah i could totally see how people would appreciate it. like for example if there was a lynching scene in a movie you know i kind of want to know you know it's just the way that, that they're kind of structured now so cryptically and you know, I just find them kind of kind of weird. But I, I'm sorry, go, go on. I, I just want to say I do agree with you. I don't think that you know the idea of being triggered is a silly idea. Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah. And I yeah, I get yeah. Uh, I appreciate that. I wasn't trying to say you were or anything. It was just that I was kind of just working through how I was thinking about things before no an experience I had a few months. No ago. problem. And so I'm in the movie theater. I'm watching some other movie. It might have been a classic that they had that they're showing. And I was just watching it because it was my day off. And um, I saw an ad for this movie, Licorice Pizza. And it was shown and it looked a little bit different. I was like, oh, this kind of seems like just like a drama or, or a dramatic comedy. And I don't know if I might have missed something in the advertising, in the trailer that they showed in the movie itself. But I was just like, oh, okay, this is just this. Uh, it seems like this girl, she's dating this younger guy who is... Uh, it seems like they're both probably in college or high school. She's asking her friend about, like, is it weird that I hang out with his younger friends? And I'm like, oh, she might be like an older college student dating a freshman. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll, 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 I'll probably see this during some matinee or whatever, right? So long story short, fast forward to when the movie actually comes out, I invite, uh, I go there with someone else because she wanted to tag along too, because I didn't really know much about the movie because I don't pay attention to advertising too much once I decide I'm going to watch something. Um, but when I get to the movie, uh, fast forward like 20 minutes in, and then I fully realize that this movie isn't like a story about like high schoolers or like college students dating each other. It's like a woman who's 28, like being involved with a kid who's 15. And the entire mm. movie centers on that entire relationship. Right. And the moment I kind of under the moment it really kind of clicked for me, I was like, "Oh no, she's like a grown ass woman," and that's like part of this film. 
but they don't really and I'm not going to get into a critique of licorice pizza or anything like that, but it, once that kind of hit and I was kind of realized like, oh, this is kind of what this is, it felt really weird. And um, I'm sitting there in the movie seat and I'm like, damn, I wish they would have let me know. <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't, I don't want you to spoil it, but I'm so curious. I don't want you to spoil it for anybody in the audience, but did they kind of at least grapple with that it was fucked up or did they just kind of um, minimize it? That's a, little, that's a little that's a little weird to me and all this stuff i heard about this movie and i heard all these raves about it from like film nerds i didn't hear anything about that part if anything i heard people complain about some scene of racism with an asian girlfriend but that to me is kind of major and i feel like if it was like gender reverse um we'd kind of be hearing a lot more about that i'm i'm i'm, I'm shocked with all the discourse i heard about the movie um including like you know the parts that offended people like the asian racism uh, no one kind of brought up uh, statutory rape. That's, that's that, like like that's that's a central couple, right? You're saying that's a central couple of the thing. Yeah. So they are, they are the what the movie is about is is about oh. this woman about this older woman who uh, she look she's like in her mid to late twenties it seems living with her parents and the way the movie starts is she's at the high school um, she's at the high school because they're doing like yearbook photos. And the kid, they they never really, they try to keep it away from being too explicit about anything. And the movie never does get it really explicit about their relationship. But it starts from, she meets the kid at the yearbook photo. And like, he's like, you know, a younger kid who's like, oh, I'm going to hit on this, on this woman. And yada, yada, yada. And she tries to kind of play it off. You can tell that she's very into it. And the movie just kind of keeps playing on that and like the various adventures or mis or like escapades that they get in together and how so much of what they're able to do relies upon partly that like she's a grown woman who can do things that he just can't do. And so they can do certain things, whether it's like get a car or truck or store or whatever, whatever, whatever. And I, I, I'll say myself, I did see a few people kind of talking about it, just like, ah, uh, the licorice pizza, like, so we, we got to talk about licorice pizza or whatever, mm. but it wasn't, it wasn't something, it, it didn't seem to overtake the wider appreciation that for, that people seem to have for the Paul, because I think it was a PTA movie, like, yeah. just the camera work, and it seems like a lot of people really have a love for that sort of 70s Hollywood aesthetic and everything yeah, that comes yeah. with that. Yeah, so it probably it probably that's all makes it, it probably makes it nostalgic for um, Boogie Nights too because that was his uh, I think last really 70s kind of movie and you know that's where a lot of people first appreciated PTA. Um, this is a little aside from the um, trigger warning thing, even though I want to come back to it. But I feel like when men make movies like that they kind of want to really indulge their own kind of little fantasy. Like, you know, like, I think, but when I've seen the movie, you know, like, I could be wrong, but it, this is my gut when I usually hear about men doing stories like this, is that I feel like they're like, I would love to do a story about a cool little fantasy where I wasn't cool in high school, but now under my 26-year-old knowledge, I could, you know, bag the cute girl in high school that you know i couldn't you know bag before because i could take her to do all these things that she's never seen before because she's young and sheltered and everything and i feel like it's a kind of like 
a male fantasy, but he realizes if I portray it dead on, I'm going to get ripped to shreds as a creep. But if I gender reverse it, uh, not only will people go easier on it, you know, because uh, people treat the reverse age gap relationships like, you know, very different in the media on average, you know, and more empowering than they do, like the male ones. Um, some people might even try to call it like, you know, empowering somehow and stuff. So I feel like even though it's technically about a female creep, I feel like movies like that are really still about a male creep. But that's just my my um, it, opinion. And I, the the last thing I'll say about the movie specifically, and just that it, it did leave me kind of thinking, damn, I, I really kind of appreciate there was like a trigger where like, hey, this is about an inappropriate relationship. The one thing PTA did do in the film, but he didn't really obsess over it, but it is kind of painted as this older woman is a loser. Like you can kind of tell she's kind of like a pitiful, she's kind of positioned as more of like a pitiful or oh. um, unwanted loser a bit. Yeah. And also the, the kid himself, uh, I think it's the same kid who played uh, young uh, Tony Soprano in Saints of Newark. Um, if it's not him, they look very similar, but I might, I might be wrong there. I, I'm bad with faces, but they also paint him as a bit of like, oh, look at this freshman young, like this loser that where like, if you were to look back at yourself in high school, you're like, oh damn, I was kind of like, or you kind of recognize the dumb things and how dumb you might've looked in high school. You yeah. do a good job of portraying that in him uh, and also kind of portraying her as a bit of a loser. But the whole movie itself, like once I kind of saw and kind of felt what it was, I'm like, oh damn, I really do wish I would have known this. Cause like I would have went into this like in a different space cause it affected my entire experience of the film. Well, well, let me ask you this before you move on. Do you feel like you were traumatized or triggered by it, or it just wasn't to your taste? Because I feel like that's kind of a different thing. Like, like, like you know, it's kind of like, okay, this is not really my kind of movie, or I was expecting something else, and as a consumer, I feel unhappy, versus, wow, I feel kind of, like, unprepared for this assault, and now I uh, feel like a little bit, you know traumatized because if i understand correctly and callers or anyone else correct me if i'm wrong i feel like the trigger warning is supposed to be about this idea that you're being made to relive um some kind of trauma by the thing that you need a trigger warning from you, you see what i mean yeah and i'll just say for me personally and i'll, and I'll hang up i'll just say personally for me i have not personally had the experience of being in a predatory relationship like that, I'm, I, when I was younger, I was never really around older women who were praying like like in the way that they do in the in the film. Um, but even with being removed from it in that sense, just being in the movie for that entire and also it's a long movie too, like the entire two and a half hours. I I like if I were someone who's like the girl I was with, she had a relationship where she was with the older guy and she reacted to that film a lot more sensitively than mm. I did. And I, could, I can't even imagine what it was like for her. So that's all I was like, I could understand. It gave me a greater appreciation for at least what the idea of a trigger warning hopes to accomplish for some people. Got it, got it. Uh, th thanks a lot, Rich. We're gonna uh, take on Owen. Hey, how's it going, Owen? What's up, Trevor? How's it going? Oh, uh, doing pretty good, man. Glad you could join us. Join us um, today. Oh, uh, one thing I was gonna say. I think um, 
there are people who earnest or are earnest about you know the trigger warnings and stuff. Like I saw this movie called Irreversible by Gaspar Noé, and it has this like nine minute rape scene. And that movie had like a lot of warnings. I think it's one of the first movies before they called them trigger warnings. I'm pretty sure it had a warning before it. And that's one that really needs one. Like that one, I would not want to be a rape victim and see that thing without any warning because it's like a nine minute real time uh, rape and it's very harrowing and frankly, I think kind of exploitative. Um, yeah, like uh, ant- that movie Antichrist by uh, I forgot. Oh, 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 oh uh, is it Lars von Trier? Did he yeah. do that one? I thought it was either Lars von Trier or I think it may be somebody. Uh, yeah, Lars von Trier. Yeah, because you're talking about Gas for no. I'm talking about Lars von Trier. Yeah. yeah, you're right. That Antichrist. Yeah, I get what you're talking about with movies that need trigger warnings. Yeah, yeah. But I think some people use the trigger warnings to kind of victim or cry bully. Like, for example, with um the um the Kenobi movie, the Kenobi series, there were a lot of people tweeting about it, and you know they just had that shooting that happened, that school shooting in uh, Uvalde. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but um, they had a school shooting, and in the beginning of the, of the Kenobi episode, I guess the trigger warning thing was there's a school for Jedi, and a school for Jedi gets uh, invaded by the Empire, but the kids don't get shot, uh, but their teacher gets shot. But I was kind of like, okay, the series is called Star Wars. Like, people get shot in Star Wars. Like, um, I don't really think you should be surprised that people are getting shot in Star Wars. And there's no way they could have known the shooting was going to happen. You know what I mean? So but I this like, is a Disney-owned property, though. That's what you have to think. It's a product. It's like, that's owned by Disney. Yeah, it's owned by Disney, but the 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 type of shooting that was happening it was regular Star Wars type blaster shooting, you know. And I just feel like a lot of the people who were tweeting at Disney just kind of wanted to lead like lead like a witch party. Like it, it didn't really seem like a serious thing. But I'm sorry, you're the caller. Let's get to what you want to talk about. I can always go back. It's to all later. good. I just wanted to uh, touch on for a sec about what the previous caller was saying about licorice pizza. It was, um, first of all, I think the actor who was the main actor in it across from Alana Heim, who was the main lead, was uh, James Gandolfini's. No, okay, yeah. So James Gandolfini's son was the lead in the Sopranos movie, and Philip Seymour Hoffman's son was the lead in uh, Licorice Pizza, and Philip Seymour Hoffman was the actor that Paul Thomas Anderson worked with. He, oh yeah, yes. It should be called nepotism pizza. Like, like everyone in there is like the son of daughter or somebody. Um, oh yeah. So uh, the the story itself is actually about uh, like a big time producer that PTA knows, and uh, what you were saying about a fantasy before. Uh, so the actor Alana Heim is a friend of PTA. Hold on. I'm not hearing it right now. You can hear one because I can't hear him. Oh, one there you go. Okay, I have no idea if this is just me or what. 
Um, okay, so you know what? I'm going to move on to Sarah and Owen, if you can come back up. For some reason, I can't hear you. Sarah, how's it going? If you want to unmute, it's just the bottom right. Because okay. people Alana hear... Himes. Hello. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, hear you yeah, now. You were, yeah, you're cutting in and out. Oh, so, so I don't know. Me... <laughs> oh, yeah, so it, was like me, I... it was me cutting in and out, not Owen. Yeah. yeah no, oh, okay. I was like, I'm like, okay, is it just me or is it? But yeah, no. But oh, uh, yeah, okay. I so, just... so, so, so Owen, please come back up. I'm sorry about that. Um, I had technical difficulties and I thought it was you. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, hey, yeah just, uh, no, I, I, I came in about like maybe five minutes ago, uh, lucked out. Uh, yeah. So I just overheard the Karish pizza. I honestly, I just heard about that movie, like what, a few days ago. I usually like Paul Thomas Anderson stuff, but it just, I don't know. I'm not really into a lot of his recent stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the things I wanted to know, and I forgot to ask ask him this when he was talking about licorice pizza. If he had the trigger warning, would he have not gone into gone into the movie, or how would he have prepared himself? I guess is what I would like like to know. Like, like what do you do with the trigger warning once you have? I don't know. I mean, that's the thing with trigger warnings these days. Like, I work with like a lot of like my job is working with vulnerable people, particularly those with PTSD. And the original use of trigger warnings were to warn people about like extreme situations. For example, like the earliest known trigger warning I've ever heard of wasn't me, but like uh, an older sister, she was in college. Uh, I read a couple of her books and she told me about how one of her classes was about kind of like psych and like sexual abuse. And they were gonna be learning about very disturbing stuff, like child sexual abuse. And they were given trigger warnings about that. Like we're gonna be dealing with some heavy topics giving guys a heads up, prepare yourself. Like, that's what your warnings were originally about. And, and, and that I totally get. I totally yeah. support and get that. Or people who suffer, like, severe, like, PTSD. Because, like, even, like, people, it just, it's, what's always frustrated me about the whole, like, discussion around trigger warnings was just how flippant. I think it's one, it's the flippancy. Two, yeah, like you said, the cry bullying. It's more like, hey, like, I'm going to show you something, and if you complain or are not comfortable, that's on you. And three, I think it's, and I think this is a pretty big thing that's not discussed as much, but I think it's a type of titillation. Like, hey, we're going to be showing you some disturbing stuff. We're warning you. Wink, wink. That's what it yeah, I think that's, I think that totally happens. And, 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 and do you know why I wasn't too sympathetic toward the um, people complaining about, about Star Wars on the internet, yeah. on Twitter, when I saw them was, yeah. I thought they were going to say, yeah, I had family in that school, or I was in a school shooting. Yeah. I was related to someone in a school shooting. But these are people who had not even a second-hand or third-hand experience of a school shooting. So I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Like, like It's, you it's a way to... of them yeah. trying to put it back on themselves. It's a very yes. self-censored, self-solipsistic. I'm the number exactly. one person. I'm the Not like, even though millions of people are going to watch it, you should care about what... I'm going to think it all goes back to me. Kind of like why everyone likes to be their own little movie critic. It's their way of being a movie critic, but in a socially quote unquote conscious way. 
Yeah, and they were tagging like different people with involved in Star Wars. I don't know if they were hoping to maybe get noticed or talked to, whatever, but they were like, Yeah, you know, it's bad enough to see this in the news and now I saw this. I'm like, so wait a minute, how did you even take it in the news then? Like like, you know, if you if you're this fragile, I don't even understand why do you even watch the news? Like you didn't live through this at all and you have no even vicarious I mean experience with yeah. this trauma. I mean, we all experience, like, vi- like we all witness it. Like, unless you're, like, a shut-in who doesn't watch television or is not on the internet, you're going to see this type of stuff. And, like, it's not about not being sympathetic. Or even if, you know what, I'll give them that. If they feel uncomfortable with that, then just don't watch it. You know what Star Wars is. Yeah, yeah, d- um, definitely. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of this stuff is stuff that started out with the best of intentions and yeah. then just gets kind of, but I think that's the activism space right now in general. Like ever since activism became something very commodifiable mm-hmm. and even an entry into entertainment and a type of celebrity and virality, it's attracted uh, some of the, the biggest narcissists and climbers yeah. that you can imagine. So I feel it's... bad for people who are doing good faith activism who have to kind of get the muddy get the waters muddied by the by these types of people i mean it's the narcissism and it's the extreme dumbing down of it like even like yeah. trigger warning people don't even know what trigger warnings are like they think it's hey just uh tell me that i'm not going to be uncomfortable That's yeah what yeah it's exactly like merge to like it's and, this and, but... a personal comfort and the weird thing to me, like I said this, I might have said it before he came in, uh, but I know yeah. not everyone here is from the beginning, but I was saying before, one of the weird things for me is like when you see a tweet and it just says, trigger warning, rape, uh, hey, I was raped. And, and it's like, how on earth does that protect anybody? You just uh, said trigger warning and just uh, blurted out what you were going to say anyway. Like, And even just well, the announcement it's, of... It's yeah. a foghorn. Like, trigger warning has become a foghorn. It's not like, hey, if you're like, I'm, I'm going to be discussing something, and if you're not comfortable, you don't have to look. It's, hey, I'm going to be discussing, wink, wink, something very serious. If you can't handle it, get out of here. But if you can handle it, if you're mature enough, stay. Yeah, it, it's kind of like just like an insurance policy to make sure that no one yeah. yells at them. You know, I'm going to talk about this titillating thing or whatever, but, and also maybe like a little bit of a virtue signal too, like a, a, a almost a virtue- kind of pointless piece of etiquette i, I know virtual signaling gets associated with a lot of like right-wing people so people don't like to say it but i have no better because, way to, yeah. to describe it i mean that and also i think it's also when you mentioned insurance policy because like there are people like talk about just the most innocuous of things and people will just jump down their throat so i also i'm, I'm sympathetic to people who feel okay you know what i'm going to discuss something people are not comfortable people are always complaining i'll just give people the heads up now so that's i think that's also that's why I I don't jump too hard depending situation to situation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I mean, I'm th- gonna yeah let uh, there's a, a long line, so I'm just gonna let other people talk. But you know, thanks for yeah uh, yeah thanks 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 for coming up. And I'm going to um, make Owen the next caller since I moved him down when it was really my technical difficulties. So Owen, I missed a lot of what you said because I was cut off. So feel free to. Uh, back up a little bit from from where you it's were. all good uh basically that wasn't my main point but i'll finish off what i was saying was basically that uh so the daughter the lead in paul thomas anderson's licorice pizza her name is alana heim a part of a very good 
band of three sisters called Heim. And they are friends, that band, are friends with PTA because the band's mother, when PTA was younger, was PTA's, like, teacher. So what you were saying before about, like, a whole nepotism thing, I think this is honestly, like, PTA's fantasy to have, like, <laughs> like his his daughter play a character who's, like, kind of an older woman going after this uh, kid who's in high school. And it's, it, it's, it just seems really weird and, like, too much of a coincidence for me. Does that make sense? Any sense, Trevor? Uh, yeah, totally makes sense. I mean, I know, like, she's the daughter of some famous woman that PTA has, um, some kind of connection to, uh... Oh, no, she's not a famous woman. She was his teacher at, like, in high school. Oh, oh, so, so Haim's mother was his teacher in high school? Yeah. Oh, she wasn't famous in her own right? I thought one of her parents was famous in her, in her, her own right. Um, I know, like, they were all in a band together, like, the three Haim sisters and their parents at one time, but... I'm not specifically sure if they're famous for any other reason than that. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, no, I'm convinced there's something nepotistic about, um, the, the Heinz. I don't remember exactly what, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Cause you know what? It was said on the internet and you can never trust it. <laughs> yeah. All <laughs> I know is that they're all from value. like the, uh, yeah. All I know is that they're all from like the Valley in New York and uh, Licorice Pizza was basically like a love letter to like the Valley and all that. And uh, I guess in regards to like that relationship and personally how I felt when I watched it, like I was like, whoa, this is weird. Like, but I do, I definitely understand uh, why some people may want i guess trigger warnings for it but i guess knowing pta as a filmmaker and artist himself is kind of like a anti-trigger warning type of person because he purposefully makes his uh i guess films to touch on specific topics that make people uncomfortable and i do think in you uh in lieu of what you were saying previously that could be what i call like uh like a commodification of sanitization, sort of like how Disney would put, like we were talking about before, put that trigger warning over Star Wars to uh, make it seem like they're uh, politically aware or things like that, or they actually care. But well, 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 to be fair, they didn't put it the first time, and those all the people on the internet uh, who were kind of just attacking them for it, and they uh, put it later on. So, like, uh, I mean, I'm guessing for them was a response to the people. Like, people are really getting at them. And I guess they were worried they were going to get canceled or be accused of being insensitive to school shootings and everything. But it's like, yeah, I mean, people people die in wars, you know? So, so should they yeah. not portray a war? Like, like, but like, I, think I, think, the, uh, mm-hmm. I think the difference is, like, warnings versus what I talked about before, the commodification of sanitization. And warnings is basically a thing... Uh, how one of the previous calls was saying about like touching on certain subjects and especially in the last 10 or 15 years was specifically things that were attached to fictionalized media. But when I think that uh, it could be, 
it, it interacts with the world today negatively is that trigger warnings are being put over the news in some places, but not the most. And in mm. America's type of way of sort of sanitizing violence, I do think that's a future that we will see specifically in America. Because if you see the news in any other place around the world, our news is super sanitized compared to everybody else's. And I do think that's why we in America are less or are more likely to trust our government officials and also uh, what they say when it comes to uh, our place as Americans uh, in foreign spaces, when it comes to how we treat other countries, governments and politicians, when it comes to war. And I think how being used, um, I don't know if it's positively being used in uh, media today, sort of like uh, there's sort of like a, a, a rising of like, how do I say this? Uh, like a new, a, a burgeoning like group of, I guess, what's it called? Um, like edge lords in certain different mediums nowadays. So they specifically use trigger warnings to draw in an audience. So let's say it's a horror movie that has like maiming or beatings or like some Lars von Trier shit, like uh, sexual assault. What they'll do is purposefully use like a trigger warning in order to attract people who are into, I guess, fictionalized violence, sort of how uh, certain rap covers in the late 80s to early 90s used the uh, parental advisory sign in different artistic ways on their album covers. And I know specifically there's one comic book that exists right now called uh, Red Room that specifically uses trigger warnings in order to attract a uh, a horror audience. Mm. And the trigger warning... Yeah, so basically uh, this Red Room comic is about an anthology series about um, an OnlyFans type website that uses Bitcoin but instead of it being like uh, naked women that people are paying for they're paying for like these uh, I guess like eclectic, like interestingly dressed like murderers who hide mm. their identities to like uh, murder other people. Yeah, yeah, I, I get well, it. And and, and, and and Red Room itself is kind of like murder backwards. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. I see what they're doing there. So I, I know that way people are using it to market their art as well, and I feel like those are the two ways in which. Uh, trigger warnings will be used specifically in America's future in order to sanitize the news, just like uh, how another form of sanitization could be how RT was gotten rid of. And uh, people are trying to sow mistrust when it comes to getting news from outside sources, as in people from different countries or people who aren't, I guess, considered qualified by CNN or MSNBC or okay, Owen. Owen, uh, real quick, yep. I just want to, you know, uh, you have to wrap it up in about a minute though, because the, the queue is getting long. So I got uh, you, my uh, bad. No, no, no problem. But keep going. Got, I got you. I just want to say those those two ways are going to be how trigger warnings are used in the future. So I just want to add that to the conversation. But thank you for having me, and I'm definitely interested to see what everybody else is going to say as well. Uh, sure, no problem. And you know, you're always welcome to come back. I just you know want to make sure that people don't wait like you know too long. So if you do have more to say, you're welcome to like rejoin the queue uh, later. Uh, be- before Aloysius Ale- speaks, uh, I was going to throw out something else that I think is kind of happening. Uh, I've been talking
talking to people about this, especially people who have like Gen Z kids and younger. And what I was kind of talking about is how, and I don't know if you in the audience will agree with this or people in the speaker section, but I feel like a lot of kids now, they're kind of more conservative than before, even though they're technically more progressive. And what I mean is like progressive, like younger millennials and Gen Z and younger, they're technically progressive, but they're actually more conservative or prudish at the same time. Like, for example, how weird they are about even like minor um, age gaps and everything. And I'm not talking about big age gaps, but even age gaps where like two people are both minors and they're both adolescent. Like, you know, uh, they'll be like weird about it. Um, or like two grown adults, you know, both well into adulthood and they'll be weird about that. But uh, for example, when I was growing up, I remember the people who like corporations and big entities were the more conservative types and like the family values types. It was like the family values types and the squares that liked Disney movies and liked um, corporations. I thought corporations should reflect their values and that the commercials should be uh, family friendly and whatever. And it was the progressives in, you know, black people, the queers, the um, other types of marginalized people who were, you know, skeptical of corporations or, you know, didn't expect to ever get any type of love for them from them and whatever. And, you know, um, liberals and progressives and whatever, they had like indie music, alternative music, independent movies um independent comic books independent comic books were like huge and you would get like all types of um, black theme stuff queer stuff punk stuff you know in those types of uh, realms like you know the outsider stuff was the independent stuff the grassroots stuff now the so-called progressives or the so-called like like liberals like they're super pro queer, they're pro-Black Lives Matter, they're pro-gender um, fluidity, non-binary, all this stuff, but they're so square, like, they all want to, if they're in comic books, they all want to work for Marvel or DC, you cannot get them to crowdfund anything, they are scared to ever try to do anything grassroots, they just want to find a gatekeeper at a big company that promises that it's going to be woke and work for them. All the grassroots stuff that's happening now is reactionary and and Gamergate, Comicsgate type people. Like all the crowdfunding that's successful is um, these kind of right wing anti woke reactionary types, and they're doing great at it. They're um, they're making independent media. They're making um, they're crowdfunding movies, uh, web series, all this stuff. And I noticed like liberals now really believe in corporations, like. And I'm going to tie this back to um, trigger warnings, I promise. It's not just a weird digression. I'm, I'm going to tie it back. But they're saying, they're doing all this stuff that I just find is not what, how liberals used to be. Like, you know, like um, rap fans want their favorite rapper to win Grammys. But when we were growing up, we didn't we didn't trust any rap that was too popular. The whole thing was never trust anybody over 30, never trust anybody in a suit. Now people want people in suits and over 30 to be like, their father, their um, their um, enabler, their guardian. You know, like um, I saw on Twitter, 
people are tweeting at Spotify, can't believe you chose Joe Rogan over Neil Young. Joe Rogan is anti-masking. Uh, and I'm like, this is a corporation. Like, why do you as a progressive, as a left-leaning person, believe that the corporation is supposed to be this moral authority, is supposed to be this moral example? Like, how are you actually disappointed at the corporation for choosing profit? That used to be what you expected a corporation to do, or, you know, like, these these bunch of people got hired at Netflix, a uh, bunch of... Um, minority journalists. They got hired by Netflix to write at um, these Netflix verticals. One was called Contoro, and that was the Hispanic Netflix uh, shilling blog. Then there was um, Strong Black Lead, which, you know, they had like a black themed and uh, a podcast and website and uh, social media site. And they had one for um, um, Asians. I think it's called Golden Something. And when um, when Netflix had its horrible stock tank tanking quarterly report, and that started letting people go, all these kind of social justice influencer types who are on um, Twitter saying Netflix lied to us. They promised diversity. They promised that they were dedicated to, you know, making positive change, and now they're letting go. And it's like you were hired to shill for. Um, woke products for six figures. You should have been happy for every single day you got. That you, you got one over in the corporation and just pocketed that money, had a plan B. Like, why are your feelings actually hurt? Like, you actually believed these people were, like, preaching or some kind of real um, gospel. It's like a million little ways I noticed that liberals are like this now. Like, the people who distrust corporations now, the people who do grassroots things, the people who are, like, you know fuck authority, whatever, like these reactionary types, you know, they're on YouTube saying, I would never even want to work for Marvel or DC. It's totally corrupted and they're profit driven. I want to make my own stuff. And all the so-called woke people, all they could dream about is, you know, with stars in their eyes, getting some kind of um, deal somewhere. And they even are like this with um, the conservatism is even with like sex. Like, they're into like so many different genders. They're so tolerant of all this, um, you know, polyamory, homosexuality, bisexuality, um, um, pansexuality, but actual sex, they find really icky. This makes sense. I've uh, talked to people with kids and whatever, and they say like, the kids are very, very scared to date around, scared to have sex, scared to do whatever. But in theory, in the abstract, they're very progressive. And what I'm getting at is I think trigger warnings are another manifestation of that woke conservatism, where it's like there's a lot of woke-washed conservatism, a lot of woke-washed prudery. And when I was growing up, the people who wanted warnings on everything were like, the conservatives, you know, the 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 whole MPAA, we want things PG-13, rated R, rated X, triple X. You got to protect the kids. God forbid a kid sees a boob, whatever. That was the conservatives. And liberals were like, uh, no, a boob is not going to kill anybody. This is real life. Kids have to know about this stuff. Um, you know, um, the parent advisory on rap albums and, and music. Liberals were against that. Left-leaning people were against that. It was the conservatives who wanted all that. And part of this new conservatizing of uh, 
progressives, I think in a weird way to me, trigger warnings are like a kind of woke washed, uh, another example of like a woke washed uh, conservative trend. Like, like the same way they woke washed uh, chasing the bag and being corporate, you know, um, with this weird, like, oh, we're going to change the culture from the inside crap and all this stuff. They've kind of embraced censorship. It's like, uh, in a way, I think it's become a kind of left-wing uh, censorship or or uh, moral, moral minority um, bullying. And I just want to throw that out there. I'm sorry it took so long, but uh, please, uh, please, Aloysius, um, unmute and speak. Oh, there it goes. Oh, I, I, Thanks a lot. I, I was worried about. I put you to sleep with that long <laughs> thing. No, okay, no, cool. I was thinking about, like, I think what I wanted to say, like, really ties into that. Also, I'm Aloysius76 on Discord, so thank you, everybody, for putting up with my nonsense for all this time. <laughs> um, I, I'm a, as a trauma therapist and survivor, I think her name was Sarah. I want to just thank her for everything that she said. And I just have a brief point about language, and I think, um, talking about it kind of ties into it where it's like the what uh in when i work with clients and i found for myself in like in more language of empowerment instead of saying trigger warnings i say you've been activated in the sense that the trigger warning is supposed to be like you have seen something traumatic and is going to light up uh, a circuit of fucked up memories that you have in your brain that you can't control. Uh, whereas I think what this corporate, the corporate way they're doing it is, there's a trigger warning because you're going to see like a body explode, and that would that would upset anybody. Um, and but what I don't like about that is it kind of, as a trauma survivor, I don't like that. That puts me makes me kind of like associates you with your fucking weakness for lack of a better word. Like I'm not triggered. Like this is activating memories that I have. And then I have to do work to whatever, to deal with them in whatever different way. Um, and but I do also you find that deep is almost a fetishization of not being able to get over stuff happening now in uh, mental health spaces. I think, and I, this is just me. I, I think a lot. I think a lot of those people are full of shit, and I don't. I think a lot of those people do not have trauma, just from experience and my professional experience working with trauma survivors. Most people I know that work through that are like more self-reliant stronger more empathetic like really like they don't want to be seen as like this is the thing that happened to me they're like i moved on from this they don't want to stay there and stay stuck like that's that's just i like I, for to me that if this if if something has happened to somebody and they are doing that they should have people in their lives to be like you need to stop doing this because this is going to kill you or this is really bad for your mental health. Like you need to stop, like you need the solution basically. Oh yeah, totally. totally. So that that's all, that, that's, that's all I basically had to say. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. I really appreciate um, your professional opinion and we're going right into another professional opinion because we have someone else who works with trauma coming right here. How's it going, Vita? 
Uh, yeah, you sound a little bit low, but you sound clear. All you gotta do is find a way to get the volume up. I think it'd be perfect. Is this better? Uh, a little bit. Keep talking. Sorry, um, keep talking. I'll let you know. Well, I was just gonna say that, um, I, I really, first of all, let me just say, the last person that spoke Aloysius was right on target with almost everything that was said. Um, and I actually have similar uh, feelings to answer that last question you asked him. Um, one of the things that I find really annoying is I think people are... Hold, hold on, hold on. Sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but can you speak up a little bit more? It still sounds a little bit low. It's clear, it's just low. You know what, let me get my, um, let me get my, um, what do you call those things? Earbuds. Make it better. Oh, okay. Cool. But, um, I was just saying that I agree with a lot of what Aloysius said. Um, let me see if this helps at all. Can you guys hear me okay? Um, yeah, I can hear you. I mean, it's low, but I could, I could, I could make. It's not really better, but I mean, I could make it out. Okay. Um. Well, I was just saying I agree with Aloysius because I feel like a lot of people are advertising their quote their alleged mental illness, but I also notice this thing happens on the internet where people like to pretend to be advocates for groups they're not a part of, and so some certain things you can't prove. So. You know, we can't disprove this person has doesn't have, P, you know, that this person has PTSD, right? So they can just say, well, I, my opinion is more valid than yours because I have PTSD, you know? Um, and much like Aloysius, as a person who's a trauma, both a trauma educator, both who's worked in mental health um, directly and also has my own mental health issues that I've been very open about on this show, um, not this show, but on Champagne Sharks, um, <clears throat> it's not something I just wear on my sleeve, right? Like, it's not something I just tell everybody every time I go out into the world. It's something that I share if I'm sharing information. The only time you guys have ever heard me talk about any of my mental illnesses or things that I deal with is because I'm sharing information and actual educational information. I'm not just, you know, I'm saying, and I'm really telling you how I deal with certain things. Like, hey, you know, I've tried this meditation practice or I read this book or, you know what I mean? I'm trying to give information. I'm not trying to use it to somehow belittle other people's experiences or, um, you know, put myself on some sort of, uh, uh, you know, my opinion is more valid than yours because I have all these mental illnesses and you can't, you know, when you argue with me, you're gaslighting me and that triggers my PTSD, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but as far as the conversations around trigger warnings, it's interesting. Um, being a trauma-informed care educator, I never really do trigger. I, much, I say something similar that Aloysius says. I talk about being activated, and I talk about things being activating. Um, I do like to give people a heads up if I'm going to say something that I think might, because I have certain parts of my story that can be, um, that can remind someone of, of their situation. I either don't get that explicit, meaning I give headlines only, you know, like what will be in a headline of a newspaper, or if it's a group that I feel, um, and in this situation, they need the, the full information or certain parts of the information, I say, you know, for those of uh, anyone who's, who's experienced this sort of situation, I'm going to let you know this, what I'm about to say can be reactivating. And they'll usually excuse themselves or they say, okay, um, you know, can we do some breathing before you tell that story? And then that gives everybody in that room a space to be like, okay, I want to make sure that we're in a position where we know we're going to hear something that might be a bit activating to our systems. Because it's literally activating 
your fear response system. That's literally what's happening versus this is a trigger, right? Um, and I think a lot of those things, those trigger warnings and things like that are also, uh, like someone else said earlier, it's almost like a wink-wink. It's like an advertising. It's like, you know, it's like the thing you, oh, man, it's going to be good. It's going to get real gory kind of thing, right? Um, and then also I just feel like a lot of those things are useless because um, they're not even, they're not, like some of my people say, they'll call say, I'm giving a trigger warning, and what they're about to say isn't really triggering. It'll be like racism was experienced. Like, how many times have black people heard or experienced racism to where we're just like a story about a kid getting followed around a story is now triggering for us, right? Um, I always feel like that's hella extra. Also, I don't think everything, you can't, and you can't also, you can't mitigate for everyone's triggers. Everyone has something that, that might activate them or trigger, or trigger their fear response system. So what happens, so for example, when we teach, they'll give us examples like, you know, you have some people, they like, people, you know, they like to have the lights off and meditate. So we can do breathing exercises in the dark. But what if being in the dark is triggering for them? Okay, what if too many lights is triggering for the other half of the group? Because for some people, too many lights can be very triggering and low lights help calm their systems down, right? So how, you can't accommodate everybody. So what do we do? We figure it out as a group together, as opposed to just me imposing like, okay, this is what's triggering to everybody. And I'm going to just label it as that across the board. Because what if the opposite is true for someone else? Like for some people, they like to be given a heads up. Hey, you guys, um, like, like, like uh, Trevor, for example, if I was like, hey, Trevor, you know, um, we, we need to talk later. Something, some, there's some, some things on my mind. For some people, that's better to know ahead of time. So you go, oh, okay, good. And now I'm prepared. So when six o'clock rolls around, I'm probably going to talk to, you know, this person about whatever their situation is. For a person like me, that's triggering as fuck. <laughs> I'll be activated as hell. You can't just sit up and tell me, uh, hey, we're going to talk later. And you don't tell me what that shit is at the moment. So I'll be reeling. I'll be in panic mode all day until we have that conversation. Um. Hopefully you guys can hear me okay. I know everybody's saying I'm still really low. I'm trying my best. Oh, oh wait. Uh, where are people saying that? In the in the chat or something? Yeah, I saw it in the chat. My volume is oh, okay. low. But... Uh, I don't know if I just got used to it, but it stopped sounding low to me. <laughs> Maybe I just, my ears just adjusted <laughs> or something. Yeah. Hopefully that's what I said was all right. No, it, no, it totally, totally, was, totally was to me. I don't know why I can't see the... Yeah, for some reason, there's no messages in the chat for me, so that's that's interesting. Um, yeah, but oh, uh, my volume was pretty low. Okay. Well, well, did you want to did you want to finish your thought, or was that it? I mean, that's kind of my main points. I don't know. Yeah, no, it made it made sense. I I was able to hear it. I hope everyone else uh could hear it. But but yeah, um, what but like, what do you think about these people who um? want the trigger warnings even like on the whole entertainment or on tweets or on things like that because i totally understand in the therapy session but um i find it weird in just these kind of regular social settings like like for example they have classrooms now where it's like english class and then there's a this greek tragedy where there's like a rape in the tragedy i forget where it is and the english um students were complaining that they need a trigger warning to learn about and it's like okay you're signing up to learn about classics like how can you like, like there's things where you got to do an actual job you're supposed to cover the classics and if you can't classics have a lot of rape 
um, murder, pillaging, um, uh, incest, and you know, there's like Oedipus. Like, like you can't be saying, "Oh, I was uh, molested, so I can't read Oedipus and need a trigger warning." Like that's that part I find kind of interesting. I was wondering what, what you think about that. Where outside of a therapy session, uh, people are kind of weaponizing this language, and it's not even uh, for things they necessarily might have gone through themselves. Sometimes they'll be like for other people who might be going through this, like it's almost like a, a kind of way to um, get a little power and a advocate for stuff that they may not even have gone through themselves. Yeah. Um, so I actually sometimes wonder, even within myself, how much of my opinion and my perspective is just based off the fact that I already went through it versus really seeing that I have to see something as necessary. Right, so our generation, we just read shit, <laughs> and nobody gave a fuck what our traumas were. But was that a good thing or a bad thing? Right? Um, have uh, there actually have been books I read in high school that were very triggering to me, but I didn't have the language. I didn't know that's what it was. My brain didn't even go, "Oh, I'm activated." None of that happened. But looking back on those situations, there were times where I had to read books <clears throat> that definitely have me. That, that made me anxious and made me not want to finish the books and things like that, right? So that has definitely happened to me. Um, <clears throat> so I, I, I don't, I, like I said, I didn't have the language. I didn't have anyone to tell me like, oh, well, you're being triggered because of your own abuse in your childhood, right? No one's telling me this in, you know, eighth grade as I'm getting ready to read a book where someone gets assaulted, right? Um, but 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 also but also you're in eighth grade you're in junior high uh there are law students now who um oh, are demanding trips yeah yeah there's, there's law students there was in 2014 there was a big controversy because a bunch of um uh law students were um complaining they need, they need to trade trigger warnings and i told to get it for like eighth graders but it's kind of crazy like how are you gonna be in criminal law and oh, say you need, well, you need trigger warnings at that point, once you've been at that level of schooling, you've had to have read so much shit that, you know what I mean? And I'll say this, one of the things I had to tell people um, not too long ago, I've told people for years, is that nobody's responsible for your triggers. That's just a fact. Like Aloysius said, people who really deal with shit, we've had to become self-reliant. <clears throat> you have to find ways to do that. You're, if the, if, uh, I'm just one of those people who just believe, like, you know, you have to be in control of yourself because you can't control what's going to happen outside of you. You can't control if something's going to trigger you. And, and some people don't give a fuck about your triggers. That's just the reality of it. Yeah, real, real talk. Dealing with it, you have to be the person to find your way to cope. Because we can't yeah. change what the world is going to do. And I think that's my problem, is that we move away from trying to teach people how to cope and how to manage their triggers. Hey, you know, it's, it's so crazy if I have a student and they're triggered by something we had to read, and they tell me, like, yo, I, I really wish you had gave me a heads up that this was in it. I could go, you know what, I, I apologize. I, maybe I could have, but I found a way to kind of give you guys a heads up. Here, But here are some techniques and some ways that I deal with it, because I was triggered the first time I read this, too, or I've dealt with students who dealt with this type of trigger. So, or have, you know, got activated in this way. So I really understand um, if there are some things that we can do to help support you to get through this. Um, or if this is, just isn't for you. But I just feel like 
we don't have that conversation. We focus more on how everybody else has to change. Yeah. I don't think that's, I don't think that's realistic. Because like I said. Yeah, everyone has to meet me where I, where I am. And I don't have to change. Right. For and we sure. we can't combat everybody's triggers. Some people trigger with the lights on. Some trigger with the lights off. Does that mean we just walk around with no lights? Or we always have lights on? No, you can't. <laughs> so you have to teach them how to, how to control and, and how to cope and how to, you know, control their own nervous system. And there's ways to do that. And also creating spaces where if you know you're, go you're in a space, a classroom where you deal with some heavy topics, is there a space where students can walk over to the corner and just squeeze some, you know, get a stress ball, you know? Just things that you can also do to kind of mitigate it. But as yeah. far as, like, assuming everybody has to accommodate you because you have trauma and PTSD and all this other shit, no. That's just not realistic. And, and nobody's responsible for you. That's just nope. Uh, thank you. Uh, the queue is getting long, so I want to make sure we, we get to Hiroshi has been waiting for a while, and, and more people just joined it. So, oh, just, uh, just real quick, somebody mm -hmm. said, um, Bern, Bernie Yeager just said, um, don't make any assumptions about how much people read before getting to law school or any grad school. I'll remind you, getting through undergrad with good GPAs is often a game of taking classes that maybe don't require the readings or at least serious engagement with them, but it's easy to avoid discomfort in college. Okay, fair enough. But either way, I kind of feel like if you've grown and you in college, you read something. <laughs> like I just, I'm yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm going to slightly disagree, but I'll, I'll, I'll wait till we, till we move on because I want to get get to Hirotsu. Uh, but um, yeah, of course, as usual, yours, Frida. Um, come back. Let me move on. But but uh, thank you, thank you, Rita. Appreciate it. Um, the real thing with the okay, I'm gonna give a, a real quick example before um, Hirotsu unmutes. But uh, in 2014, um, there was an inside higher education. You can find it. It's called Law School Trigger Warnings, and I'm gonna read a quick couple of paragraphs um, from it. Um, the conversation about trigger warnings has now reached law school based on an essay by Jeannie Sook, a professor of law at Harvard University that was recently published by The New Yorker. In her piece, The Trouble with Teaching Rape Law, Sook argues that increased anxiety among her students and colleagues about discussing complicated sexual assault cases is, impending, is impeding criminal law professors' ability to do the jobs well ultimately at the expense of students and the rape victims whom they will eventually represent. And there's a quote, uh, student organizations, this, this, is the, this is the author's quote, quote, student organizations representing women's interests now routinely advise students that they should not feel pressured to attend or participate in class sessions that focus on the law of sexual violence. So that means that uh, law students at Harvard, like top school, are being told they can skip the days that cover rape, because it may be traumatic to them. Uh, Suk says, these organizations also ask criminal law teachers to warn their classes that rape law might quote unquote trigger traumatic memories. Individual students often ask teachers not to include the law of rape on exams for fear the material would cause them to perform less well, uh, unquote. Suk continues, quote, one teacher I know was asked by a student not to use the word violate in class. As in, does this conduct violate the law? Because the word was triggering. Um, so even in reference to the law, not a person, they don't want to hear the word violate because hearing the word violate might think about might make them think about rape, even though you're talking about violating a law and not a person. Um, 
some students have even suggested that rape law should not be taught, period, because of its potential to cause distress, unquote. She says that the environment makes teaching these kind of complicated rape cases that are worth studying. Um, those involving questions of consent or credibility, for example, so difficult that some professors are quote unquote giving up on the topic on the subject entirely. And I'm like, okay, I don't care what you went through in undergrad as far as being sheltered, just as an adult. Like, like you shouldn't have to read things to be able to handle them. You should have gone through something in your life that you know made you an adult by the time you get to law school. But once you're in law school and you decide to become a lawyer, you're taking on a responsibility. Like, I wouldn't go and try to be a firefighter and then show up and be like, oh, by the way, guys, I have no arms. Uh, can you accommodate me? Like, I'm going to ruin people's lives when I show up and run up the stairs and I'm trying to carry a hose in my teeth. Like, you know, and everybody dies. Like, like at that point, you're taking on the responsibility to represent real people. And on top of that, you're doing it at the top law school in the world, as in, well, not anymore. Now it's number three, maybe down to number four, but traditionally top law school in the world, you're going to be likely one of the most privileged people for the rest of your lives. You'll, you'll be able to command a six-figure salary or seven figures or more for the rest of your life if you make even half an effort. So, you know, I don't want to hear you crying. Like, like you are going to be one of the most privileged of the the privilege. And on top of that, you're going to ask to not be not be required to have the bare minimum to do your job or to take your um, exams. So it's like I I can't really totally co-sign the idea that you can't assume what everybody read in undergrad because I mean it's it's Harvard Law School. They're a, they're allowed to test you on LSATs and on your undergrad grades and require all types. Like, I can't go to Harvard Law School and they'd be like, um, well, what did you learn in undergrad? Well, you can't assume where I learned in undergrad, you know, uh, just let me in. Like, the whole nature of Harvard Law School is that they grill you and expect you to have studied and have a certain amount of maturity and learn a certain amount of things in in undergrad, it's not their job to um, make up for what you missed once you get in there. So yeah, th th that's all I have to say. And um, yeah, feel free to unmute Hiroto. Yo, what's going on? Can you hear me? Yeah, you sound pretty good. All right. Um, yeah, what's, what's up? Yeah, really good talk. Um, so yeah, just two things. One thing I wanted to just mention what Vita was talking about, about having somebody come to you and saying uh, we got to talk about something later today um and that would just ruin my whole day man i've been there so many times so <laughs> i didn't even know that had that had a name for it i, I thought i was just weak i thought it was weak willed or something so it's interesting that <laughs> it's a thing um but uh yeah for like the uh, trigger warning thing um you know as as some of you may know like uh yeah I, I, i've been living in japan for a long time um so it's you know that it doesn't really exist um in the same way it's i think it's done uh differently um here uh but uh you know you kind of you're just expected to uh to know what you're getting yourself into um in a certain way like i don't know this is 
think like, uh, I don't know if I'm being offensive with anybody, but there's like common sense to everything. Like, for example, for me, like I, I, I don't, after watching Roots when I was very young, that, that like scarred me for life. So like, I never watch any kind of slave movie. Like I haven't seen a slave movie, you know, like, <laughs> like, you know, for, for decades. Um, and except uh, J- uh, uh, Django uh, Unchained, <laughs> because uh, man, yeah. man, if, yeah. if Roots traumatize you, then you made a good choice because these new slave movies they are just like um, yeah sn- torture porn. Like um, there's one called Underground Railroad, and there's like people being set on fire and being yeah. lynched and screaming in pain. What well, like like it, 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 it's almost like they're try, trying to titillate you with like the destruction of like black bodies so I, i'm that, just telling you that if, if, if roots traumatize you do not tune into this new shit <laughs> yeah you will go crazy yeah i know man and i think you know um like back in the 90s when i was you know in my teens <clears throat> uh, american history x was like really big and i just refused to watch it um because like i just can't i don't know why but uh, i can't handle uh, that kind of shit, you know, like, I just want to, I want to react, I'll put, I'll put it that way. Um, so, uh, but yeah, as you said, like, you know, people would like always talk about that scene when he, and I know, like, I, you know, I'd obviously know about all these movies and stuff, but I don't mind reading about stuff. I just don't want to, to, to view it. Um, when he curbs, curb stomps the uh, dude and stuff and like, yeah, you're right. Like people, they just did they it was like kind of funny in a way to a lot of people and that, that like yeah I, I don't know man that's my that's my tinfoil hat koofy thing i think these slave movies are just meant mm. to, to desensitize people to black death but that's yeah no i think there's something to that i mean it was, it was weird about american history x that he does all this stuff but he's supposed to kind of feel for him as the movie goes on because <laughs> yeah. because he becomes a better person it's like get the fuck out of here yeah you're not gonna make me feel for this for this guy it's not gonna happen yeah I was still happy yeah. when he died. I, I don't care <laughs> what type of after school special uh, lesson he got in jail. You know, I was so I was so glad when he died at the end. I was like, fuck him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like just yeah, to just finish up, like you know, I think Vita also mentioned about reading books in high school. Like, I couldn't read. I couldn't get through To Kill a Mockingbird. I just don't like reading about slavery, or you know, I just I just can't process it without being like, yo, why? why are we calm? You know what I mean? Like, I just like, like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna like make me read this stuff, like, uh, yeah, I want, I want justice, man. Like, you know, so I just, you know, I'm just knowing that's not going to happen. Um, so yeah, like I just wanted to point out, like, like nobody gives me, like, nobody gives a fuck about trigger warnings for, for me. And I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only black kid that ex- has been experiencing this, you know, uh, for the past, you know, at least 40 years, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, you know, I'm sure like black kids in the 2000s and black kids, you know, now in, in the in the, the 2010s and then black, black kids in the 2020s that have to deal with this and that there's so like violence and, and, you know, sexual assault, like whatever, you know, like we see that daily in in movies and stuff and it's been normal. So I don't know, like why like, these people get certain special treatment. I you mean, know? I think in, I think in general, like, you know, it's. It's easy to blame like millennials and younger, but at the end of the day, their parents, the parents of millennials and Gen Z are boomers and, you know, Gen X. So, you know, um, at some point we got to take the blame. I think maybe what happened 
is we came up in that generation where, you know, it was fuck what you feel. This is what you're going to get. You know what I mean? So yeah. it was like, you know, if if you told your parents, hey, uh, I don't think I'm going to watch this or I don't want to sit through this or whatever. They were like, oh, who told you this, that this was a democracy? It's just, you know, shut up and do it. That, like, like, we never grew up with the right to feel entitled to anything. And in a way, that was bad in its own way. Like, I'm not yeah. saying that to glorify it as a good thing. I think that was bad in its own way. But I think you carry it into adulthood. Like, you know, you don't really feel the right to feel entitled to any type of comfort or accommodation outside of basic respect. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, uh, we, no, but like... Uh, a, a, just like if you're going to watch a movie if you're going to read a book you know like that's like your agency you know there yeah. you know what i mean and if you're in a class reading about you know reconology that's still your choice and and if you can't handle reading about that stuff then you don't deserve that degree or you need to like you know find some other books that, that like i don't but, know that but but they want to feel they want to feel to conform to them it's kind of what Vita said about you know yeah. people want want the world to change to them instead of vice versa they want greek mythology feel to just cut out whole swaths of history <laughs> and shit like and shit like that it's weird and and, and the law students want whole swaths of law but people are still gonna be getting raped you can't just cut out rape law you know like because when people when when people but but they're kind of weird like that this this type of generation like, like they'll say things like uh you shouldn't have to teach a woman how uh any type of tips to protect her to protect herself from rape you should protect you should be teaching boy you ever see this phrase online yeah um, yeah, and, 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 and yeah instead of teaching women how to protect themselves from rape why not teach uh boys not to rape it's like yeah, the people yeah. who are the, 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 the people who are raping know it's wrong they're just sociopaths <laughs> like 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 the idea that it's on the rest of the world to stop i mean like, like i would love to say i shouldn't have to be careful when i drive at night in a white neighborhood instead mm -hmm. teach all the white people not to be racist but i mean <laughs> good good luck i'm gonna die before that happens because i've gotten shot while i'm while i'm waiting but like, what i was gonna uh say was i think a lot of our generation, because it happened to my sister. I'll tell you a story of my sister, and then I'm going to move on uh, to keep the okay. queue moving. Um, yeah, but, I'll, 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 I'll uh, no, 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 you can stay on what I, you can stay on what I okay. think. It's fine. Okay. Um, um, my, like, like, my, like my sister is like Gen X like me, and then with her daughter, she um, did all, gave her all the freedom that she didn't feel that she had, you know, because uh, we didn't have the, the options. So she got to vote on what she ate. My my niece, she got she got the right to, you know, have an opinion on 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 everything and whatever, and you know the opposite of what my um you know parents parents did. And if my parents uh would you know try to like you know pull too much rank, you know, kind of um undercut them, like no, you know, you're not gonna tell her not to do this or that like you did with me. But then when she became an adult. Then my sister starts asking my mom, "Hey, can you talk to her and like discipline her?" <laughs> because because now she's too used to having rights and choices. Like it's a good change, but she's kind of overcompensated, and now she kind of sees mm. like, "Damn, maybe maybe I should have maybe I threw out the baby with the bathwater." Like some of it was yeah. genuinely bad, but maybe I threw out the baby with the bathwater. But my mom's like, "I'm old now. I don't have the energy for this." Like there was a time mm -hmm. where I would have helped you with this, but you wouldn't let me do it. Now you gotta just kind of deal with it i'm i'm yeah. tired i'm not gonna uh i'm not I'm, <laughs> I'm not trying to break a horse now like it's it's not <laughs> you know like like she's an adult it's not like breaking a kid you know not, not yeah. to use 
course-breaking language. But yeah, so, so basically I think you're asking like, why do these kids think they have the right to do that? But I think maybe our generation maybe is to blame and we kind of maybe overcompensated because of how our parents raised us. That's just my theory. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yep. yeah. All right. Thanks for uh, yeah, no doubt, the call. I'm going to move on. Hey, how's it going? I thought I thought Rennie was gonna be next, but um Rufus is next. I don't know if, what happened there, but um hey, how's it going, Rufus? Yeah, to unmute. Hey, it's going all right. I couldn't get on oh, cool. my screen wasn't working. Oh, oh hey, hey, how's it going, man? How you doing? Hey, it's going okay. Well, well I'm just, I'm just gonna keep this short so you can keep things moving. What I'm um, what um, I... oh real quick real quick though, before you huh? talk, who's behind you in the queue? Because I think my Green is out of uh, order, and pedagogy is behind me in the queue. Oh, okay, all right. So, so it's the same as how it looks for me. Okay, cool. Yeah, right. yeah. So I just think this is um, the remix for a new generation. Back in the day, you had things like the board of film classification, rating systems, sensor systems, sensor boards, and all that stuff that ensured that the content we received matched the sensibilities, you know, that were negotiated and agreed upon by society. But now, I think in this current generation, you see in it, you, you see you see a lot of analogs of this stuff. Like the military can't find anybody because they're too fat and they're too out of shape and they're too flabby. It's just like a generation that's a lot weaker than the next and, and doesn't have the ability to parse the world and just and know how to dissociate themselves from things and you know apply objective thinking. So it's all just sheer emotion and and, and pettiness. That's kind of like, you know, that's really what fuels the feeling of entitlement, especially now that you have a generation that's more squeezed than the previous. They want a little bit more comfort. So what you're seeing is, you know, just um, things like fan responses to movies and stuff like that. They're more engaged, but engaged on the trivial. And this is taking that thing to the next level. You know, they've grabbed lots of things. And this is them grabbing that kind of um, standards of media because um, essentially... In our age, you know, in the previous generation, if we socialized around a text and you wouldn't have to, you know, consume that text if you didn't want to because someone else knew. But in this day, I guess, of, you know, more atomization, people don't even want to have to do that. So they want, they want to be told that on a more personal level so that way they don't have to, in, you know, they don't have to do any engagement and be adults. That's essentially my take on all this because... Um, yeah, trigger one. It just seems very. It just seems very petty and small. Yeah, I mean, it's just petty and small. But you know, at the same time, like I said before, I wonder, like, what our like our generation had to have done something to make it necessary in this generation. I'm just not sure where we dropped the ball. I don't. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with what you said. Yeah, uh, I don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's us dropping the ball. I think it's essentially. The society becoming more decadent and and pointless, you know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yes, that's all I got. So I'm gonna jump off and let the next person come on. Uh, thank you, man. All right, good. You too. Ah, there you go, Rennie. How's how's it going? I'm good, man. How about yourself, man? Yeah, I'm doing pretty. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Uh. Yeah, uh, you know, Friday night in the house, but you know, I don't want to get I don't want get that monkey pox. So, man, keep we it tell <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, really interesting topic, man. Um, 
my thoughts on it um, have been varying as I've, as I've, uh, you know, witnessed and heard um, some of the discussion and been following the conversation, man. You know, I think honestly where we're at now with having to label trigger warnings, it's ultimately a product of society. And I think what's happened is sort of like, you see sort of like a shift going on. Like, like for example, on Twitter um, a few years ago, you could argue that, you know, it was extremely decadent, violent. People said whatever they wanted out of their mouths. And then there sort of came a shift where um, just, you know, having an opinion was policed and pretty much, you know, everything was like, you know, a trigger. And I think because everything sort of became a trigger, it diluted the conversation to the extent that no, like people even lack empathy for trigger warnings now, because like, it's almost as if everything has become a trigger. And I, and I heard someone mention um, something earlier to the point that, um, I think it was Vita, uh, where she, she explained that because the focus has um, sort of shifted from uh coping mechanisms and actually finding ways to deal with your trigger in real time um and it's sort of like um it's sort of evolved to this fixation on uh individuals uh like um we have to create a space uh safe space for individual traumas and like vita pointed out well what happens when Someone's triggered by, you know, having lights on, which was a, a great analogy, and someone's triggered um, uh, with lights off. Um, obviously, you have two warring ideals there, and I think it's a product of society because now we've pretty much told everybody that actually coping and, and having to deal uh, with your trauma and come in, um, and learning mechanisms to better cope and deal with that trauma um, isn't necessarily the best way because people, external forces should um, just be better people, right? And that's just not pragmatic. That's just not the reality. And I think Vita hit it again on the nail when she said that people who have really been traumatized, uh, we've, we've, come, we've, come up, we've come up with ways to deal with that throughout, my, throughout our lives because we've had to. Um, and in many cases, we've done it, we've done so alone. And so what I see on Twitter often with these trigger warnings is mere performance and entertainment because people who have been traumatized, in, in my experience, don't really act in these ways. Like they, they become so immune to um, certain triggers and they, they've learned how to cope and deal with these triggers that oftentimes it, there's no performance to it like you see on Twitter. Like it, it's just interesting because oftentimes people will assume because you don't put a, put a trigger warning that that's something that you haven't experienced. And interesting, interestingly enough, as you all know, this is something that I've had to deal with um, multiple times as it as it pertains to making threads about black boys and sexual vulnerability when they're kids and oftentimes and i've seen people in that crowd mock you about it the same people who oh claim yeah that they, they um mm-hmm. want trigger warnings for everyone else they will like mock you about your experiences yep absolutely i've had, I've had <laughs> I, I, I think for a lot women, of these people it's just yeah. about uh, victim bullying than really about any real 
caring about any Absolutely. of this stuff. Yeah, I've literally had, and it, it, there's been times I just logged out because, like, before I said some like wow, hectic, crazy shit. Because, like, I've literally had people on the women on the threads and girls on the threads say shit like, um, yeah, but uh, I mean, you may have that may have happened to you, but it doesn't happen to many boys like that as much as it happens to girls. So you know, you shouldn't be saying it. And it's just like, it's fucking, sometimes it just be like, what the fuck? And so, um, so yeah, I think there is a very real performance to it, especially as it pertains to social media, because it's almost as if one has to invoke their trauma on the timeline just to gain insert or just to gain entry into the conversation. And I think that's become problematic because now we're, we're saying that in order for you to get a ticket into this this venue, you have to now, you know, re-traumatize yourself, re, you know, relive that in the moment and just let the whole timeline, you know, uh, pretty much, um, you know, uh, involve themselves in your business. And I think that, and I think that's the problem for another issue too. Like you don't know, for one, you don't know these people. And I'm very particular about what I say and what I allow people to know, because I know that people literally um, come on Twitter and other social media apps, like with the vengeance, especially if you're doing something they don't like, like people create whole accounts to hate on you. You can put your business out there. Like I'm very, even like with like certain pictures, like of, of my family or whatever the case may be, like what you decide to put on there, especially if you have a following or especially if you have people that you know target you particularly because you may study, I don't know, black male studies, like they could not wait for you to put some shit on there so that they can use that, you know, in some way in the near future. You know what I'm saying? So this idea that I'm going to just be, you know, putting this information out there just to gain entry into a conversation is just not going to happen. Um, and again, like for people who've actually experienced trauma and, um, in these ways, it's not like, you know, a timeline fetish, like, you know, like I'm not, you know, I, I'm not out here dying to hear other people's traumas, you know what I'm saying? I can actually do without that, but yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of this stuff too is, um, a way it, it, it's like a, wep- a weaponized uh, victimhood like people talk about cry bullies and on the podcast mm-hmm. uh we talk about um victim bullies i always use the term victim bullies and i've experienced this in real life uh not even just on you know social media and and one example i i gave this is like four years ago or so three or four years ago but i was very kind of naive and not used to how crazy this world was and when i got on when i started seeing on twitter i guess i saw it all day in and out i saw it more but i remember there was one time i was out at a bar right and i was sitting with these people i didn't know them too well but there was like um a couple of black people at the table um and then there was a um half black half latina girl whatever and then there was this um white girl the white girl mm-hmm. was um um one was the was the date of somebody at the table, and some of the people at the table were uh, black and gay, and you know there was a black street man, there was um um you know this this black and Latina girl, whatever, and then are you assuming all, people's races? 
Oh no no I I I, I knew these people's races. No, I'm they, fucking they, with you. Oh no no. <laughs> <I'm fucking> with <laughs> you. <laughs> no, no I, that'd be a real question too. Like, are you human? No no. But you know what's funny was, what's funny was everybody was talking about like you know, um the you know, trauma of being black and this and that. And I thought the white girl was just you know sitting there and nodding and talking about white supremacy. And I feel like people were trying to kind of not perform for the white girl, but kind of say, oh, we have a white person here. This is our chance to, you know, talk about, you know, <laughs> the problems with, like, you know, white people and white privilege and, you know, um, get an empathize with being black. So people people were just kind of saying stuff about racism. And I feel like one of those, like, allies, please educate me thing. And then uh, it was kind of getting on my nerves because I was like, okay, if we're a bunch of black people and we have a white person here, why are we talking to her about white racism or white supremacy? She should right. be the one talking to us about white racism, white supremacy, and we should be listening. Was what I'm thinking because I'm like, okay, you're in the rooms with white people and, and hearing things that we don't hear. You know more about white supremacy than any of us. You know what I mean? Like, um, you hear the things, you hear the racist jokes, you have probably been in rooms or whatever, like, like, you know, be a double agent. Like, you know, if anything, you know, you should be schooling us on every single thing that like, you won't believe what white people say. Oh, she's not going to do that. Yeah, yeah she's not going to do that. But I'm like, that's what I hate about these conversations. Like, mm-hmm. like uh, we're the ones doing all the talking. And so then I had said, I had said. Look how mean um, I can be to the white person. <laughs> like, they be so performative. <laughs> yeah, so performative. And it's just like a fake meanness and doesn't really mean anything. So like, right. like what I said was like, you know, uh, I started saying, um, you know, I feel like um, white people spend more time um, listening than than black people do in these conversations. But when I said it, I was going to finish making my point, but they all jumped up and went crazy. And they thought I was giving white people a compliment. Like I was saying it as a good thing, but I meant as a bad thing. I was like, they sit there and just soak up all the game, but they don't share any of it. So I was saying that they listen as a negative thing, as in like... So you've actually had one of these Twitter conversations in real life. Unfortunately, I didn't realize what it was at the time, right? Because it, it was driving me it was driving me crazy. I'm like, why is she here just <laughs> sitting here listening to all these black people spill their guts and she's not I'm saying weak. saying anything, you know? But before I could finish explaining my point, all they heard was me say that white people listen more and using that kind of... Um, woke logic they thought i was saying giving her giving her and white people compliment but you said what about white people and because she's a white woman i think they thought that i was kind of caping for a white woman and giving her a compliment mm-hmm. and i'm like no it's the opposite i'm not giving her a compliment but then um when the girl just started telling me about all her trauma and how it reminds me of her reminds of her father and all this stuff like her father as a black man did and how people give white women preferential treatment. And I'm trying to say, no, I'm not giving her preferential treatment. I'm not capable of her at all. I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying that she, and what made me mad was I, the exact thing I didn't want to do is perform for um, white people. And these mm-hmm. dummies now are, are actually arguing with me in front of the white person and doing the exact, like, so yeah. I'm trying to explain, as I'm trying to explain myself, what she does is this. And this is when I really first kind of saw this victim bullying in action. Every time I tried to talk, she'd be like, 
no, 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 no. I can't take any more. It's too traumatizing. I can't take it. It reminds me of my father and, and, and this and that. And then I've, I've been like, what the hell is happening here? So then I would stop, you know, how I'm a people, person. How aren't people covered in band-aids? All this pain. Oh my God. But, but, <laughs> no, no, she, but she wasn't, she wasn't fragile at all. I realized this after, and, but, but this is what she'd do. She goes, um, yeah, it makes me feel too bad. And then you imagine blah, 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 blah. And she would just lay off a whole speech. So what she would do is every time she cut me off and say she didn't want to talk about it because it was too traumatizing, she would rush in a whole spiel and get everything off her chest. And then when she had to respond to what you said, she's like, oh, no, no, no. I said I don't want to talk about it because blah, 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 blah. And you did this, you did that, you did that. So what she would keep doing is every time it was my turn to talk, she would just uh, act like she was fainting. But as she was falling down, she would just unleash a verbal barrage. And, mm-hmm. and I started feeling like really blocked. Like, like it was like an emotional cock blocking. Like, oh like, yeah. You're not getting was, anything out. Yeah. After it was done, I was like, you know, why do I feel so bad? And then, and then I realized later, right. Like everything calmed down. She goes, <laughs> okay. I, I was like, okay, I feel better now. And I was like, yeah, but I feel like shit. Like what happened? You know? And then, mm-hmm. you know, in the cartoon when, um, you know, like in Tom and Jerry, when the person realizes the trick that was played, and their head turns mm-hmm. into like a donkey or like or like a sucker lollipop. Like uh-huh. afterwards, I was like, oh, that's what she did. She acted like she was the victim, and she right. actually used the victim uh, time and the, the pretending that she was traumatized Correct. to actually Correct. run roughshod all Correct. over me. And in my mind, I'm thinking because I'm the man and and whatever. Exactly. I'm the one who's actually dominant. You know, who's who has to like take kid gloves. And she was just mm-hmm. cutting me up left and right. And I was like, shit, I'm never going to let that right. happen again. And see, but that's what... Yeah. No, I was just saying. And see, that is, a, that is a prime example of what often happens on social media. Remember, yep. because she's get, because she's, a, she's allowed to turn into the perennial victim, she can now... like So now the, the ambiance of the conversation turns into this bifurcation between vic, perfect victim and you, you know, violent, uh, you know, traumatizer, right? And so the reason why you feel bad is because for one, you didn't get the you didn't even get to say anything. Um, for two, because you didn't get to see because you didn't get to say anything, the whole entire conversation was managed by her. That's allowing yep. that's allowing her to like um to enable you from even speaking or getting off what you what you had to get off. Like this happens the same thing happened to me when we have this conversation about sexual vulnerability. If someone has if if someone is ranting about their victimhood status, right, this bifurcation happens. They become the perennial victim. I can't even speak. So at the point that I can't speak or at the point that people are focusing or honing in on what that individual was saying, I don't even get seen as a victim. Like the fact that I've been victimized has doesn't even dawn on people. It's like Oh like, yeah. It's, oh yeah, totally. You know and and, you, and like with you this girl, had she a kept, story. She, yeah. Yeah. And with this girl, she kept bringing up um, you know, because the black men, black men have done this to me. So now I'm not even me in this conversation. I'm right. a, you're all black. I'm men, a yeah. stand-in for all, for you're all black men. And she right. was this whole conversation. And at the end, she never even learned what my actual point was. You know what I mean? I'm like, but then I was thinking about it. I've known other people who known her and talked about how difficult she is. I'm like, you know what? She probably wins a lot of these battles. Right. Her life is probably miserable because crazy. she's never going to be able to communicate. She's gonna drive away everybody in her in her life and she'll win every little battle of the victim bullying but 
burn every single bridge and lose every war. My time. But um, yeah, let me <laughs> let me get out of here. Uh, let me let me let Bernard go. Just wanted to yeah, say so lastly much. that this conversation has been traumatizing. And there was no trigger warning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna do my penance. <laughs> I, I'm gonna check my privilege after this conversation. Uh, hey Bernard, thanks for uh, joining. Now you know when you brought in an educational context, you um, activated me. That's what we're gonna. Call yeah, it. yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I conjured and activated you. All right, so T, I'm going to start off with a question. I'm going to bring it back to that Harvard Law School case. Who do you think mostly attends Harvard Law School? Where do you think they get a majority of those students? Man, I'm guessing uh, from what I've read, there's a lot of legacies. That's going to be uh-huh. one thing. And they're probably going to be uh, pretty privileged. Um, I mean, I know people think there's a ton of affirmative action in Harvard, but I think it's kind of overstated. I don't think it's really that much. But I think most of the people are legacies and you know uh lifelong hyper achievers they, they come from yeah. other um probably mostly ivy league ivy plus and like those i guess like top 25 private and public schools right so when you really think about this think about how harvard might have made its own monsters mm. right like because think about the whole like look up harvard and grade inflation Look up a lot of the Ivy Leagues and grade inflation. Like they have, because education at these schools have become so expensive, what they have done is basically made learning risk free. Right? So, like, if, and that's especially the case if you want to remain a feeder into your, like, your own professional school. Like, of course, you're going to give your. Wait, 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 wait. Like uh, median uh, student uh, A minus. I forget it, forget it. You, you're muffled for a second, but you're not anymore. So, so forget it. Keep talking. Oh, so imagine a bunch of classes and like this even I'm from STEM and I can tell you that a lot, some of these Ivy Leagues, they, they graded higher than my school, which graded pretty high. You're talking about a median student. They, you could fuck up the test and, and do everything and get an A minus. They're trying to make academic rigor as comfortable as possible. And I'm not just talking about in terms of the level of the content and how they grade, but even the classroom experiences like. Um, I have experience teaching, like, or tutoring a lot of these students, and I can tell you that these high achievers, getting them to even volunteer and answer in front of a crowd is like pulling teeth, and they hate the idea of even things like Socratic method, right? And when you talk about a place like Harvard Law School, that's the main thing they're going to use in that classroom. So uh, if students are afraid to simply be called on to volunteer information that they read from a book, Imagine how they're going to react to something as uncomfortable as, say, certain elements of criminal law, like rape. The fact is, since Harvard's charging so much, they're going to find a way to try to control that classroom. And that's kind of the element I think you failed to connect. And I think you got it with that girl. I was just, I was just, I was just going to say that. Um, I was going to say that the assumption is that these people are sincerely, um, traumatized but i think a lot of them are doing what their girl is doing which is they're angling for advantage they're weaponized they're weaponizing this as a way to get out of doing hard stuff in school as a way to kind of but whether they're doing it because they're severe they're sincerely too fragile to handle rape cases or whether it's them just trying to weaponize um the language of trauma to get over the way that girl was 
either way, their clients are going to be shortchanged when it's time for them to represent them. You know what I mean? And with that type of attitude, they're going to end up cutting corners when it comes to their clients as well. Like, that's just going to be their life Jeez. strategy for dealing with everything. Come on. Come on, you know better. You know better. Now, why do people want to go to the T4, uh, the top 14 law schools again? What type of law are many of these people pursuing? They're pursuing a lot of big law, but like a, a lot, lot of, of them, corporate law, right? <laughs> they do a lot of, they, yeah, big law, corporate law, but a lot of them do go into public interest law for the loan forgiveness. Um, and they go into it also that like they can do a, a couple of years of loan forgiveness if they do um, um, a couple of years of like public interest law and still go to the corporate law. Uh, so so don't be don't be surprised because I know a lot of people. I know people I went to um, a second tier law school and I know a lot of people who, um, you know, I had a friend who was um, interning at, at legal aid and that's all he wanted to do. He just loved criminal law. Like he actually loved it. He went to legal aid, but even though he interned, he interned there, when it came time uh, for him to graduate, he doesn't get a job there. They were like, we can't give you the job because we have a bunch of Harvard and NYU people who want this job. And that's, um, that's disappointing. Because we have to give it, like, we have to uh, give it to them, even though you know the stuff. Because the prestige, law is very prestige um, driven, dedicated. Yeah. We can't turn down having Harvard and NYU people um, in this uh, school. So they might not be there for long. They might be there for a year or two, and then go on to that corporate job. But you'd be surprised. A lot of those big people, they do go to um, um, legal aid and district attorney and those type of places. Now, now, see that that part I didn't know. Now, I would definitely trust your friend and like people from second tier law schools way more than I would trust a lot of these people in like these um, like public interest and criminal law spaces because I, I can tell you like there's just a lot of I feel like the undergraduate experience of a lot of these people is basically faculty members trying not to choose fights with students, right? Just They'll move mountains out of the way so that you can kind of just get them through to whatever their prestigious next stage is. And it's kind of a mess. And it's shown up in like my teaching experiences because um, I also did a master's at Georgia State. And boy, I tell you, the teaching experience there couldn't be any different. And it was a surprising difference. Like when I would teach, like I'm very um, active learning oriented and I want the students to come up to the board and, and draw stuff, explain how they came to an answer and whatnot. And they're very, the Georgia State students are very willing to do that. When I would teach like TA sessions at Emory, you'd often have crickets because they would do anything to avoid like being shown as embarrassed in, in front of their peers, getting just the slightest thing wrong. Like, so I don't know, like it seems like the, the high achieving crowd is like very sensitive to a lot of things that should hinder them in these like, high-paced spaces but for some reason because these places are prestigious they still get access to them and you know i just think that there is a connection between how a lot of high achieving people are trained and how they use and abuse these trigger warnings and things like that like so i don't know it's like it it looks like it's in every space not just entertainment oh yeah i mean it's in the real world i deal with it uh all the time i mean the one thing i was grateful for with that uh girl was like years ago but uh, I was like, after I realized what happened, I was like, oh my God, never, ever again. 
and I've seen like people try it with me again, and I've like you know nipped in the butt. I'm like, if you don't want to talk about this, then don't talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. Either we both talk or nobody talks. But um, you know, it was it was ed- educational for me, so I do appreciate it uh, for that. But ever since it happened, when I started going online or I started looking at you know protests or how people, I'm like, this people, this is their whole life strategy. I'm gonna weaponize any advantage I can, including. Um, fake mental health issues to um, squeeze any advantage or leverage I can anywhere out of uh, life. And even with like that Patrice Cullors woman with, you know, being busted for the donations and everything, she started telling people that um, this is a real quote from her, that, that IRS tax forms trigger her and it's not fair to expect her to read. And it's like, okay, first off, you're making black people sound stupid. Like, you know, like um, because you're like a, black black woman and you're a victim of systemic racism like tax forms are like um triggering to you but you're also the same crowd that says black excellence that you know you have to be twice as good to be where you are because white privilege and then suddenly you're saying but give me kid gloves because um being black actually makes me less able to handle simple things like tax forms it just kind of shows these people will just use and say anything for leverage and even um fake mental health issues aren't off limits even if at the end of the day they're screwing over like rape victim clients and whoever else you know they need to be doing a a service to you know what i mean yeah i'm I'm gonna say one more thing and it's kind of gonna be a story and then i'll get out of the way so like what you just said is actually a concern of mine because it's not just patrice colors this stuff is like spreading to black high achievers and it's being normalized like um like when i was at emory university they started rolling out a lot of um diversity equity inclusion programs and stuff like that and at one point they were good because they were mainly there to to add like a mentoring network and especially if you're in stem which is considered very difficult and a lot of um black schools are not gonna provide the same level of training as the white and people of color schools did like so they were trying to prepare us for that so you might have like pre-orientation programs where you come on early and they kind of get you in that network, tell you how the class is going to be, get you into like a tutoring network and X, Y, and Z. Now, when what I got, I became concerned when I noticed that it started to interact with the curriculum. Like you had, what happened was you had these a black chemistry and a black biology teacher connect themselves to one of these diversity, equity, and inclusion um programs and i knew that they were also like the easiest sections for those classes so i was kind of like so what y'all about to do is you're about to intentionally use diversity as a veil to explain why you're basically gonna under train (laughs) a bunch of black hispanics and and i guess people of color students versus the other sections and then you're gonna say oh it was a success because they all got a's and b's and what's going to happen is they're going to go later on to these other contexts where the professors are not a part of these programs and they're going to give them the real intensity of the program. And I think a lot of us mm. are fall flat on our behinds. Yep, so some, yep. some of this stuff can like the way we weaponize this stuff and tell people like, oh, we want to do black excellence, but we also want you to go easy with kid gloves. I'm kind of like, this can eventually backfire. And I think it's backfiring on Patrice Colors. Yeah, and and that's the thing. And that's the thing. All this stuff works in the short term, like all these shortcuts. But that's life in general. That's just a life rule. 
shortcuts uh, will help you in the short term, but you know, in the long run, you're not going to be building the um, you know skills or the strength you need. Like even in personal relationships, like like for example, uh, that example of like uh, victim bullying or cry bullying that um, that girl did, it's gonna help over the short term arguments. But in her long-term relationships, they're going to go like to shit because you can't have a, a whole relationship with somebody where you never listen to them. You, you use like crocodile tears and like, you know, victim bullying to win every confrontation. Like that guy's going to, you know, walk out the door. Or you're going to end up with a doormat that you're not going to respect. Like, 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 um, and trying to raise kids with that strategy, you know, like, like it's going to bite your ass and but i think a lot of people don't have long-term orientation anymore for anything it's just yeah, about I, what can get the job done for me now same as those law students like what can i do to get an easy a now even if it makes me like a worse lawyer in the future like who cares yeah that's why i have such a problem when it's like authority figures facilitating stuff like those two instructors like they knew what they were doing because one guy was definitely angling for a promotion and he got that Um, I th- I think you sound muffled. Is it oh, is it him or okay? There you go. I hear you now. Okay, cool. Oh, I'm sorry. I probably moved my phone away from the thing. Um, so the thing is, like, at least one of those two professors was angling for a promotion, and they got it the next year after being a part of that program. And the interesting thing is, they had a conversation with one of my professors, who actually he believes in diversity, equity, inclusion too, but he holds the students to a very high standard. Um, and what that professor asked the the black guy is he was like so how can we measure the success of the program maybe you should see how students do in this particular rigorous professor that a lot of other students who go into research and medicine like to take after this intro course and the guy got kind (laughs) of scared he was like oh no they don't have to do that there are plenty of other courses to take that means that he knew what he was doing Mm. yeah he knew that he was kind of using this diversity stuff to elevate himself now the kid the the students probably don't know what's going on they're just thankful that it was easy they didn't know what to expect but he knew that he was like i'm gonna make this course easy they're gonna get a's and b's and i'm gonna be able to say that they all got a's and b's <laughs> right and that's gonna get my promotion yeah all he cares about is all he cares about is himself yep and then they know that the students are very sensitive to grace too so as long as he was a halfway decent teacher and he gave them high grades they're going to give them high evaluations it's like the parent that spoils the kids because they want to bribe the kids to get their love but they're not actually helping the kids be better people maybe they want the maybe want the kids to love them better than the other parent or whatever and it's like you know they're, they're screwing the kids over the kids will be grateful because at the time they think they're getting a gift by being spoiled you know what i mean but um that's what it reminds me of the story that, that you're telling me. Like, uh, I'm sure those kids probably thought they were getting a gift. Yeah, I, I mean, why wouldn't you? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, Bernard, just want to keep it moving to Owen and Vita. Uh, I think we're going to end it after Vita. So, uh, thanks for joining us again, Owen. Always a pleasure. And sorry, Bernard, thanks for joining us again, Bernard. Always a pleasure. We're going to move on to Owen. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Welcome back, man. Sure thing. I just wanted to uh, say this quickly. I think when it comes in reference to how we have all been talking about trigger warnings this evening, I do think that the people that we're often complaining about who uh, I guess like 
complain about sugar warnings not being on things in a sort of wider way are in fact the minority of people in that community. And I think that the reason why these companies are marking to this minority is because they're financially in trouble. And the way I explain that is by, um, I saw this video, a, uh, what's it called? A, like a video essay on YouTube by these people called, uh, this is revolution podcast by, uh, Jason miles. And, uh, it was, uh, called same as it never was. And he talked about when the film industry started to financially fail in the 1970s, the industry turned to black audiences in order to make their money back. So I think because of, today like how the certain companies like film companies took financial hits uh during covid it i think what it made them do was start to target more niche audiences in order to survive because they realized by having all of these like geek or like niche culture film properties that usually the niche audiences have the bigger sway when it comes to social media or media in general. So they're basically targeting these audiences in order to financially survive. And I feel like that's why we're seeing it more now than ever, if that still makes sense. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, so, so you think, you think, so can you, can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, basically. Um, so, are are you talking about in reference to like how the film industry reacted in the 1970s? Uh, yeah. Sure thing. So basically um, there's this thing called the Moynihan report and it was basically a bunch of like people in the FBI, CIA and all the alphabets talking to each other when it came to saying how uh, specifically because poor people like how they were in the late 20th and early 19th centuries were and, experiencing... And, 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 wait, and wait, by the, by the mm-hmm. alphabet, you mean the, you mean the FBI, the CIA? Yep, FBI, uh, CIA. Okay, okay. Uh-huh. No, I want to make sure because some people are going to think you're talking about LGBTQIA they're going to be like, oh. who's, this homo- <laughs> who's, this, who's this homophobe on stage? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, since uh, all of them were basically talking about how, like everybody knows, in the 19th uh, century, mid to 19th, mid to late 19th century, early 20th century. That was a big time for unions and collective action when people came together, uh, whether or not they had racial differences or ethnic differences at all, people came together in order to fight back against capital. So what they did was basically uh, target certain specific people and get them to fight amongst each other or support those who would have them fight amongst each other in order to distract from like any, uh, I guess, pr- progress in labor, like you know, uh, upkeep. Okay, or like... okay. Let me mm-hmm. let me back up. Um, when I say expand on it, I mean I want to make I want to get a clear idea of how it uh, relates to where we are today with the whole uh, trigger warnings thing. I, I think that's the part that. I um, wasn't sure about. I wanted to get the connection to uh, the trigger warning conversation. Okay, so basically when it comes to specifically trigger warnings, uh, companies today like Nike and Coca-Cola and all these other companies are now starting to target niche audiences like those 
minority of people who believe in all of this meaningless excess when it comes to like being progressive companies they started to target this niche audience in order to like make more money because they took a hit from covid and they think this they thought that this would work because it's worked in the past just because uh in the six the late 60s the film industry was running out of money so what they did was targeted black audiences in order to start making more money because they know niche audiences, if they focus on them, they'll start to make more. So I, I just equated those things because uh, this is related to, like, I guess the main topic because I think everything is because people or companies or I guess like other organizations want money and they're targeting niche audiences in order to do that. And I feel like that's why it's happening more because these bigger companies are just targeting more niche audiences. Does that make sense yeah. anyway? Yeah, I got you. I got you. Uh, one quick thing I will say, man, is I think um, there's going to be a lot of changes, man. Like, I think a lot of this um, victim bullying and cry bullying that's happening in the media, um, I just perceived victim bullying and cry bullying, you know. Uh, some of it, I think, is is genuine. Uh, good faith agitation, but even the good faith stuff, I think, is getting lumped in with the bad faith stuff. I'm noticing in general there is a coming backlash. I think. I think this Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing that's happening oh, is is part of that, where a lot of people were getting kind of fed up with what they thought was overreach by you know the Me Too crowd, where they were just waiting for one sympathetic. Um, um, accused man or one unsympathetic, one blatantly unsympathetic woman, so that they can just let out all the pent up um, backlash they were holding back, you know, uh, during previous cases or whatever. Because, like, whether you think Amber Heard is, um, whether you think Amber Heard is um, a good person or not, whether you think she's honest or not, whether you think, you know, she's an abuser or not there was something about the sheer level of vitriol toward her and the the lionization of johnny depp that kind of made me think you know what a lot of people this is not really about these two uh i think a lot of people are bringing um some pre-existing like you know bag of shit is like they just kind of want she's like a symbol for like me too in general right now and that reporter i don't know if you've been following the story but that reporter felicia sanmez at washington post that oh got, yeah that uh reporter dave weagle suspended and she was going on for like seven days and, and she was kind of a trigger warning type too she was talking about you know her um uh, alleged sexual um harassment history and whatever and how you know, she was kind of like using that to um, attack other people in the workplace and her employer. And then she got fired after seven days of like, you know, agitating and whatever. And the sheer like thrill that I saw online toward her firing. And, and I'm just basically saying that um, there's like a change of opinion where... I noticed like a lot of the goodwill is going away. People after Black Lives Matter and the whole uh, scamming thing, a lot of people are just like, 
uh, losing patience with, you know, anti-racism, with the Me Too, and, you know, what people saw is a yeah. lot of uh, cry bullying there. I noticed, like, there's, like, a change in public opinion. And I think when you combine that with the recession that's coming, cause I think this recession is going to be the real deal. I think we're going to have yeah. a real recession coming on. So a lot of money to throw at things, you know, uh, like before. I think um, a lot of people who are thriving with these tactics and in these spaces right now are going to find, like, uh, closed doors and closed ears. Like, a lot of people... And closed wallets. Like, a lot of people are not going to be willing to be shaken down. They're not going to be trying to hear all this stuff. They're not going to be have the patience to be, you know, victim bullied when gas prices are like too expensive and they're worried about, you know, paying their bills. So I just like it ugly because I don't know what these people are going to do because a lot of these people only have one tool in their toolbox. And if you take away that tool from them, um, I don't think they know any, any other way to function. They haven't developed any other uh, tools. I don't know. Yeah. Even though this is a problem, I do, like I said earlier, still believe that these people are just like the minority of people. And that's not most of us, no matter who we are, where we come from, where we look like. And I do think the reason why we're seeing it so much nowadays is because media's, uh, I guess, like hooked on these audiences in order to survive financially. I do think it's, I guess, our job as like regular people who know this is just like a minority of people who are being represented financially. It's probably yeah. just to just like check up with each other and just talk to each other like human beings. And most of us will realize that we're really all not like this way. But I think because this is so perpetuated by the media currently because of their financial troubles, that people are believing that these small niche audiences are actually bigger than they are. I get into these debates all the time, and I do not think it's as niche as people say. People tell me this is niche forever, and I just keep seeing it more and more. I'm seeing it in real life, and I don't think it's as niche as people want to believe for two reasons. I think it's generational. So a lot of the people who are not like this are older generations, and we're getting phased out. Uh, and we're getting replaced. Like, even if say most people aren't like this anymore the most people who aren't like this i feel like have been kind of are gradually moving towards retirement or getting pushed off the stage and and but on top of that i'm seeing a lot of people who are old enough to know better starting to adopt this stuff like like you know i'll see people like in their 40s and i'm like okay i know you were like like but are those trevor are those people really like people who aren't PMCs or is that people who are predominantly PMCs? My point is most of those people who are, they're like big professors at big schools or people who are kind of middle class or upper, those people are the ones who are perpetuating this because if you have the PMCs plus the big corporations, it makes it look because of their uh, being prevalent so much in media that this is the majority opinion when in fact it's not. Okay, but 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 let's say this: somebody who has a very Tumblrized, you know, worldview or whatever, has a septum ring in their nose and reads bell hooks all day, and say she's teaching in a school in the hood. Because I've <laughs> known people, I've known people who that's their teachers now. Like I saw a girl on Twitter; she was like, "Yeah, you know, I've been, uh, I got my first teaching job, and it's in the hood." 
and I'm making all the girls learn about like the black patriarchy and <laughs> I'm teaching about Audre Lorde. And I'm like, damn, this girl's in the hood teaching this stuff now. And and I, I think you're right, it's PMCs now, but the TV shows, they're getting TV shows and they're making all the Netflix shows with all this stuff. So, I mean, I think what, and if it's smart of them, they realize, look, when we were growing up, we didn't fit in with black people. We didn't fit in with whatever. And we're never going to convince them. They're always going to call us uh, blue checks and new blacks or whatever. But that's fine. We're just going to get their kids. And I think I think that's going to be the strategy. Uh, in the high schools, the colleges, whatever, they're all going to become professors and yeah, and high school teachers uh, and elementary school teachers. And we're going to think that it's smaller than it is because we're not dealing with them um firsthand but maybe i'm being paranoid i don't know that's, that's just, that's i, I just don't my think thought. you are but i just believe uh, that uh this is just something big companies are doing and how they're influencing us and before i get off i just want to say that i think the way that we can fight this as like regular people is just to like start to connect with each other like we always talk about like economically knowing that we are all suffering under the same shitty bosses and that's probably a better way to like connect as people than have this like these niece audiences fighting with each other because i believe these people are just as prevalent as like far-right nazis and oh yeah just, for sure yeah it's just the media basically using these two niece audiences in order to drive their revenue and they're targeting them specifically all across their media to make not not only make it look like they're good people, but also to have, uh, I guess, like a constant their continent constantly being in the media in order to make more money. And I feel like that's honestly the only way we'll be able to fix it in this upcoming future that we're going to go through. Real talk. Uh, thank you, Owen. And uh, gotcha. we're going to end. We're going to end it with Vita. And last thing, uh, no shade, no offense to all my sane people and friends who have septum rings. I know I use septum rings as, you know, an example of a lot of these kind of crazy um, intersectional um, social justice influencers. But yeah, I just want to say um, no shade to my lovely, uh, sensible people who happen to have um, septum rings. And that's all I'm going to say. Oh, one last thing. Um, there's a lot of people, but we have about 57 people who are listening anonymously. By listening anonymously, that means that you're on the desktop, but you're not signed into an account. Um, something you can do, and it's free, it doesn't cost you any money, takes 10 seconds, is to log on to the account, create an account, and listen logged on. Um, because that helps our metrics, and Colin um, looks at that. So, yeah, by all means, please um take like 20 seconds to just um create an account and keep listening logged in because it it does make a difference and yeah vita uh you're the final one so you know you get the last word all right but i want you to engage with me this time last time you just let me run my mouth (laughs) no i was listening i enjoyed what you were saying but i'll I'll engage with you okay go ahead um but man um I want to piggyback off of what you had said a minute ago also actually um about you know how this stuff we think it's niche but really we're like you're seeing this in the community in our schools and i'm going to tell you for a fact that's true and i want to say it started a while ago um probably before i was even in college and that was a while ago <laughs> but um 
I think a lot of the stuff that we're learning about mental health and trauma and all this stuff is actually what was supposed to be freeing for us. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, sorry, I don't want to um, cut you off, but uh, someone in the chat said that you're still very low and they can't hear you. So is there any way you can uh, raise the volume? I, I don't even know. It's not really a volume thing. That's the thing that's so crazy. Oh, maybe maybe closer to the mic are you using uh was, earbuds or no oh wait just... i thought oh, wait i thought it was a little better i think whatever you just did okay you... i basically oh. okay yeah I, th I think that does it okay okay cool so basically i have to put the phone all the way in my mouth oh no, wait that doesn't sound right anyway um <laughs> i was saying that um i was piggybacking off of what you said about um us thinking a lot of this stuff is niche and it's not niche it's in our schools, like you pointed out, but it's also in our community um, after school programs and it's in, it's in positions of power. It's in positions where um, people have influence over policy, um, especially local. People have to start looking at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mario, Mario's son is teenage and he told, he told us about how his, his son went to some kind of after school program and uh, the people running the program uh, were telling his son and all the other boys, how they have to check their privilege and make space for black women because, you know, they're, they're black boys and they are privileged and they take up too much space and that they have to, um, you know, stand aside. And it was just basically that type of black privilege talk. And yeah, so he, he was saying the boys came home like pretty upset that they were just kind of marginalized. But, but that's just another example from someone we know. Yeah. And I can tell you that's been going on for a very long time. Um, and I want to say it's even deeper now than it was when I was a kid. Because when I was a kid, it did, you didn't really see it. Like, it wasn't talked about in that way. But when I got to college, <clears throat> it was very, very strong. Um, a lot of the pseudo-activism, the pseudo-advocacy, um, everybody's a liberal, the septum rings. <laughs> um, and I was in some of these spaces unknowingly, really, because I wasn't really sure I just was a person who was who wanted to see change in certain ways. And so I found myself in certain feminist spaces or, uh, you know, quote unquote, people of color spaces and even black spaces where, you know, that seemed, these seemed like fringe ideas. And that's hard to see them on the Internet. I actually saw them on the Internet later. These were conversations I saw happening way before the Internet. But even the information now that has been coming out about trauma and mental health and all that stuff, um, a lot of that is new. It's not necessarily new <clears throat> in regards to the research. Some of this research, like, for example, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, which is now getting spread all across the nation, that actually that research was actually done in the 90s. It was unearthed in 2005. We're in 2022, and it's just now really hitting the schools, and people are getting trained under understanding how adverse experiences in your childhood lead to uh, health outcomes in the future, including mental health outcomes, right? So this is all sort of newly being implemented in these systems. Great information. Nonviolent communication is something that I learned when I was a nanny. Um, and I became a preschool teacher as well, where we had to utilize what they call nonviolent communication. I thought it was a great thing. In fact, it opened my eyes as to how abusive a lot of my childhood was in school, Right. Um, because when I was coming up in school, I'm from South Central Los Angeles, they talked to us all kinds of ways. Get in line. Be quiet. Stop that. What are you doing? 
to the point where I thought that was normal. Got to high school, they had bullhorns and police and all types of shit. Oh, just, man. Just basically chasing you to class, <laughs> right? Um, we had metal detectors and, you know, police would come in with uh, drug-sniffing dogs, all types of weird shit. You know, stuff that I thought was normal where I grew up. Um, and then I went and started working in Redondo Beach in these wealthier white areas and wealth, in wealthier white homes. And not even just white, but, you know, mixed. A lot of, a lot of, people I work, a lot of families I work for were also mixed or Asian. Um, you go in these spaces and they talk to their kids a whole t- different type of way. And it's very empowering. However, I do see how a lot of it is misunderstood as coddling. But mm. I'll say this. Um, for black people, we've been in survival mode here in, 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 our, in this country and really all over the diaspora um, outside of Africa and even in colonized nations within the continent where um, we've had to survive under this white supremacist uh, uh, Euro-centric um, society, right? Where everything's centered around them and their wealth. So because of that, we've spent our entire existence in this country and in, throughout the diaspora trying to um, raise our families, if we can even call it that, during these times of slavery, Jim Crow, and whatever the fuck you want to call this era now, right? We're trying to still raise our kids to, to survive in these spaces, so a lot of how we raise them includes, you know, uh, more demands. You need to listen to what, what I tell you. Do what I tell you. Don't ask me no questions. As fucked up as that might sound to these white people who coddle their kids, really, we're trying to keep our kids on on their toes. The problem is, a lot of this new information that I'm learning about and learning that how we raised our kids actually was more counterproductive than I would say more productive to, to that where, yeah, we have people who might be, might be about that action, but they don't know when it's time to be about action, when it's time to calm the fuck down, right? Mm. Um, so I can definitely, and I'm sure we've all seen it, and even see certain things within ourselves that come as a result of, of historical trauma. Our parents are trying to keep us uh, alive, right? But now that I'm learning all this new information, I'm like, yo, actually, and then learning the history of a lot of it, a lot of the shit that we call nonviolent communication is shit that they stole from African, indigenous, and Asian communities all over the world for, that, has, mm. that has been in existence for literally 100,000 years and how they raised their children. Um, but somehow we... You know, white folks commandeered it and sold it back to people. So now this is their curriculum that they're putting in a lot of these schools. However, I would say it's being used against us. But with what uh, I, how, how so? So I'll put it like this. What I thought was going to be used to empower us because I got this information and I'm like, oh, shit, this is what the fuck is wrong with me. Oh, shit, this is what the fuck's been going on in my family. Post-traumatic slave syndrome is some real shit, right? So I'm learning all this shit. But now we're not learning it the way... It's supposed to me that in a way that applies to us. We're learning in a way that applies to them. So now we have these extreme coddling mentality, right? We're worried about triggers and feelings instead of teaching our kids how to cope so they can get through this shit so they can still be warriors at the end of the day, right? Instead of expect, expecting everything around them to change. Because that's some white people shit. Because they create these systems. They can expect the system to change around them. We don't have that luxury. So we have to learn how to cope so we can strategize so we can be the part of that system. You know what really hurt my heart? What's funny when you guys were talking, it shouldn't have hurt my heart because it sounds so random, but I'd be thinking shit like that when I smoke. But when I was listening to you and I think it was Bernard talking about law school, right? And he was saying how, and both of you guys were saying how more people go into corporate law. And 
you were explaining, well, some of them go into defense law for a little bit if just to get their loans paid, and then so many, you know, then they go into corporate law. And I was thinking, damn, if the HBCUs weren't fucked up, that would be the market. That will be what they should focus on, defense attorneys, right? They should dominate getting black people to become defense attorneys because we're going to need them. Look at all these criminal laws. Go ahead. No, I mean, there's, there's there's a lot, but I mean, part of the problem is if you do it at legal aid in places like that, um... You know, they're just gonna always choose the most prestigious. Uh, I mean, there's Y'all two. Not even there's talking two... about legal aid. You got that black man. What's that black man they made that movie about that Michael B. Jordan oh. was in? Oh, oh, you're talking about in private practice. Okay. Yeah. Or oh, whatever. I see what you mean. Or okay. however we do it. Like we. My point yeah. Is that this should be a got way you. for us to strategize those things. Like we should be. There should be. This is a thing. Me. Me, maybe some other folks who listen, but we're not in those positions. We're not the black people in those positions who can dictate curriculum at an HBCU. But there are black people who are there, right? So how do we talk to them? Because to me, I'm not saying like this has got to be our movement or no shit. I'm just kind of giving an example, really, of how, you know, when we're when this stuff is used against us, this mental health shit, and learn all this new shit about trauma used against us, we're still not in a position to strategize. Because that to me was, oh shit, that would have been a great opportunity. For us to get to that, to, for us to create a system and create programs, whether within what exists or creating our own or private institutions, whatever we got to do to begin to churn out defense attorneys. We create programs that say, okay, you want to start your own private defense practice? Here's how you can do it and still charge uh, the people low, but still be able to make, make sure you're profitable. We have a whole program dedicated to that. That's what people do. They sit in a room, they create those kind of programs, right? Well, that should be something that we should be, that, that should be a conversation. But if we're still focusing on trying to follow up behind these white folks, which is what a lot of these people do, is they try to follow up behind these white folks who do what they do, we're going to try to utilize shit that don't apply to us and don't apply to us accurately. So you run around talking about trigger warnings for dumb shit instead of teaching our kids to cope. Yeah. No, 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 totally. Like, like, um, I mean, but uh, Nilly Nilly Fuller always says um, black people are extremely uh serious about being unserious and extremely unserious about being serious and i think it's uh it's like a weird saying but it's very it's very true you know it's um and and, and you know um something that i think is going to be against people into a lot of trouble and i'm gonna, i'm going to keep using um that example of the the night out I had I had with that girl, you know, because it was a very it was a very formative moment for me, because because uh, now I'm like Kenny, where I think everybody's lying all the time. Mm-hmm. Now I think um, I always think like the worst, and I'm always like on guard for like bullshit like that. But at the time, I was very new to it, and one of the problems with th- these type of strategies is that, and this is why like that first time it worked on me, you have to be kind of very decent and empathetic person for that to work on you know you can't use it on another scumbag except when these people fight with each other it kind of goes nowhere and step into the gutter because when you have two people like that and they're like fighting and you, you see them online it just uh become becomes like a shit show it only really works um based on the other person's um empathy like you have to be kind of a decent person like when she told me that she was traumatized and thought about all this stuff 
I took it at good faith and face value because I wouldn't just bring that up just to uh, score points and win an argument. So I'm assuming she's coming from a good place, but it's like after going through that experience, that kind of hardens hardens something in me where in the future, I'm like, I'm not going to take anything like that at face value. And that's the problem with these strategies. You burn the bridges. You keep hardening everybody you come across because people are going to be like, um, what's the point of taking things at face value? It's like the boy, it's like the boy who cried wolf and, and whatever. And if you do that enough times, you're not going to have anybody you can use a strategy on. And I think in general, the people who operate like this, they're going to reach, and this was happening just in the discourse. A lot of people are just sick of these people. When you remember like back in the days on Twitter, when like one of these like, um, social justice types used to tweet their craziness and like a thousand people would, you know, jump on and support them and, you know, be like, yeah, you know, we have to stop this and that. Yeah, you're right. And now I see people like a handful of people will say stuff and this people just be like, shut up, you know, uh, we're sick of this shit, hit them with memes and just kind of clown them. Like I, the tide is like really turned. Like everybody has kind of interacted with these people and they've, kind of soured so many people's um goodwill and i'm telling people like it's gonna get it's gonna get ugly like like all this stuff you've been able to get away with and these little gigs you've been able to get these times of 90 million dollars of donations for your um group and whatever and ford foundation grants i guess gonna dry up and I'm really thinking what's going to, what are people going to be placed with? I don't know what they're going to do. And, and you know what? It's funny because it made me think of something you guys were talking about Netflix earlier. And I was thinking about this. Um, hold on, I have to put this one closer. Um, I was thinking about like, it's funny because you were right. Why would you expect these corporations to give a fuck about you? If you're so radical, you're so about that life. You should have already seen that coming. Hey, hey, Vita, listen, listen, Vita, listen to this. Um, a bunch of them, remember, remember when Dave Chappelle specials came out? Um, a bunch of people, including some trans employees, actually burst into an executive meeting to yell at the um, executives about them having a Dave Chappelle special. And it's like, they're a corporation. Like, what do you expect? Like, quit if you have to quit if you know but but the person they didn't quit they kept working there and just thought that they, they could yell at them for months on end like, like, like they got suspended right right and, and, and these these places I'll, I'll i'll admit it they let themselves get victim bully to a point because i guess they don't want the bad press or to look racist or transphobic so these people were doing all this victim bullying of them in a way and they were just getting suspensions and all this stuff. And people are like, are you seriously not firing these people? People are kind of surprised. And then finally, because um, one of the people, uh, one of the trans women was on Twitter and she would tweet bad about Netflix every single freaking day. And even as she got suspended, when they brought her back after suspension, she was like, this proves that I was right. I know I'd be vindicated. She went just right back to just bashing. So finally, this is what I'm talking about. People get sick of this stuff. They've already just fired it. Like we don't get, we don't. This is not worth it. Whatever cool points we're getting for keeping you hired here, it's not worth this fucking grief. You know, of you going on, 
But she just felt she was entitled to just bash them all day, even though they're paying her checks. And corporations don't work that way. And now she's on Twitter all the time, crying that Netflix fired her. And, like, you know, they're transphobic and they owed her a job. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe they are. But if you're really about that life, why do you want to work at Netflix? Exactly. Why do you want to be there? And Like, why do you want to help? Like I this no just real quick I just feel like that really yeah. pisses me off because totally. you know what first of all anybody who works in media anybody who works in media anybody who works in media knows that shit is fleeting as fuck you mm-hmm. know that your jobs your jobs are rarely ever stable there's a reason why the people who stay in this, these places the, the longest we know their names because it ain't but four or five of them everybody knows in media that you it's fleeting your job can be over tomorrow. It's a given. Yep, yep. We know this. Nobody who works in media, especially film and TV, because their projects yeah. get canceled left and right. Especially corporate media. You know, they're, they're a corporation. They're not, they're not here for a cause. They're not here to advocate and make any type of cause. At the end of the day, they want to make money. And, I, and also, you know, a person who's really radical you don't go to a big corporation that you know is racist, that you know is sexist, that you know is homophobic, that you know is whatever. You don't go work for them and help make them profitable. You don't take your talent and skill and go, oh, okay, I want to go over there and make them profitable. If you really bout that life to the point where you're going to bust in on a, on a president's uh, meeting or whatever. Like, if you really bout that. Because my thing is this. People who really be like, yeah, that shit's fucked up, but I need a job. They shut the fuck up and they do their fucking job. They're not out there trying to be rah-rah. They say, yeah, you know, shit, it's fucked up. But hey, I get to make the movies and shows that I like. That's not what happens. These people want to bust yeah, in I people's think, offices and keep jobs. And it don't work I think that way. I, I think what happens is they get the short-term, you know, it's like what I was saying before, they get a couple of short-term wins from it, and they get kind of addicted to that power that they get from it. But they don't realize that it only works in, it only works to a degree. You can't actually build a long-term strategy off of, um, no, they that watch type cartoons. Of they yeah. learn their activism from cartoons when the big bad corporation was going to tear down the community tree and everybody in the community chained themselves to it and the big corporation stopped. That's what they watch. That's what they think activism is. That's what they think a win is. So that's what they do. Now they all rah-rah. They don't realize they don't really have any power. That didn't Putting yourself in front of one tree did not stop the deforestation this causing causing uh climate change right so like it's just these people don't act they're not actually about anything they don't know what activism is they're not really trying to make any type of change they just want to get paid it, and get attention it's like karate, karate kid in the, in the crane kick uh karate kid beat johnny with the crane kick once but it'll be like if you learned that crane kick it was like you know what i'm gonna fight johnny again and put out the crane kick like you can't do it again he saw once it's going to work a couple of times like people eventually right <laughs> even if it works a second or third time you just can't keep doing the same trick and i think these people just are such children they just think oh my god this thing works like magic i'm just gonna keep um doing it and you know people just lose patience or they just kind of see through it after a while you know like like they kind of start realizing it's not feeling manipulated it doesn't it doesn't work and you, all you do is just harden everybody um around you and that's why i think in a way they're going to kind of make a lot of racism and sexism work i'm worse because it's going to thicken everybody's skin to the agitating and the protesting 
you know, uh, it's kind of like when your kids yell. You ever see somebody with really bad kids? And sometimes you go into their house and they're just sitting there reading and the kids are just running around yelling and screaming. You're like, how the hell do you live in this racket? But they're so used to those badass kids. They've actually learned to just make them into white noise. I think that's what's going to happen with a lot of these people. And they're not going to know what to do. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the final word and then we'll um, uh, well, close out from there. Um, I mean, that's pretty much how I, I, I thought I had. I would just wish that you know, there was a way to, not try my best to do what I can, you know, to be in the ears of people who are in organizations, who are in positions, and try to really, you know, be a part of the solution. You know, what do you, like, and I, I don't mean that you have to, you know, become an activist. What are you doing in your world, you know? You don't, you might not be the person who can make the changes necessarily. You might not be the person who's a pop, but, you know, how are you getting in their ear? <laughs> you know, how are you, if you work in plumbing and you realize there's a deficit and black men in plumbing or black women in plumbing, you know, what are you doing to try to shift that? Yeah, you might not, I don't believe, I'm not talking about no DEI type shit, you know, where people just give you some lectures on racism. I'm talking about actually something tangible that actually helps somebody. Because at the end of the day, the system is big, and, and you know, I, I, we probably can't overthrow white supremacy, but we can't, we, but we can't stop trying to at least help our people. So, that's my final word. Mm, well, well put. So, I think we're face to end it. And I see there's still a lot of people who have not uh, signed in, but, you know, so be it. Uh, it's too late now, but please, please remember to create an account and listen signed in. It helps us more than you can imagine, and it's free. So, um, yeah, follow the people on the stage, follow the speakers, follow each other. Uh, don't just follow me, but actually follow the show, Media Masochist, because... Um, you'll get notified better if you follow the show and not just um, me. But thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, check us out on Champagne Sharks. Uh, go to ChampagneSharks.com. All the links are there. You can hear our podcast. Rita's one of the hosts of Champagne Sharks. So, yeah, you'll really enjoy it if you have not tried it as of yet. So thanks, everybody. Everybody have a good night. And we're going to do another one of these tomorrow. So you know, follow us, follow the show so you can be notified. A different topic, of course, but another show. All right. Be good, everybody. Take care.